Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Somebody sent me one of these memes saying, don't forget the clocks change this weekend. You don't want to be late getting up to sit in your living room. Mind you, I think that things are very different. There's an awful lot more businesses still open and an awful lot more industry open and things that are deemed to be essential services. In fact, I see quite an amount of text coming in from people still complaining about traffic and traffic jams. I'm sure I got some more on that in a few minutes' time. And a fair old buzz around the city uh, and the suburbs and shopping centres. So a lot of people still going to work. I haven't noticed, a, I mean, there's a change in traffic patterns, but nothing like March, April, uh, where like you hardly saw anything on the roads. But, you know, there's still quite an amount of cars around by day and indeed in the evenings. Now, uh, with that in mind, Tom Durkin is open inside in the English market. And great news for you, because Tom Durkin came on board with me way back along. And Tom Durkin meets are back on board again uh, for another run. Uh, so great news. We'll be giving away meat boxes for two people for the entire week. Um, and that's a beautiful, beautiful meat box, including minced steak, diced steak, pork chops, strip loin steaks, sirloin beef burgers, large chicken fillets, a kilo of Blossna Heron, gold award winning spiced beef. Ah, lovely jubbly, isn't it? Uh, and of course, you can order those yourself from Tom Durkin. It's free local delivery for orders over uh, 50 euro. And you can get further details on their website. And I will get details of the website and bring it to you throughout the course of the morning. We are also giving away another two-night B&B stay for two in one of our 12 different Cork hotels who have got on board with us for Take a Break for Cork's sake. Okay, so maybe not now, but sometime in the future when you want to head, head away for a midweek or a weekend break with a loved one of yours a two-night B&B stay for two people in one of the 12 different hotels that are on board I won't be telling you the hotel until you actually win the prize so that's around about a quarter to midday today so the song you're listening out for for I shall play this again in its entirety sometime between now and just before midday this is the tune you're listening out for all right this is your take a break for Cork's sake song interesting. Uh, one of the last times we gave away a break for two, we had the same song. Ain't there any more songs around, guys? But meanwhile, we also have Free Food Friday today. A little bit of a difference with Oak Fire Pizza and Free Food Friday. It's almost like Christmas time with all of these giveaways and fun and entertainment. And also, this would normally be the jazz weekend. Um, I clean forgot until somebody said to me yesterday that Monday is a, is a bank holiday. I just, you know the way, like your body clock is completely out of kilter. So this normally would be uh, the jazz weekend. Boo-hoo-hoo, no jazz weekend. But will there be no jazz? Don't touch that dial. I have some good news and a little surprise for you a little later on. Meanwhile, paper-wise, the mail is saying this morning, five kilometres. With the weather ahead this weekend, you wouldn't want to go five minutes in this weather. Um, but we need to accentuate the positive. There will be some sunshine through it as well. Unfortunately, uh, here we go again, it seems. Care homes and residential settings feature in the newspapers front of the Irish Times this morning with the HSE being forced to deny claims that they're abandoning or at least have abandoned one 
care home up in County Galway that's overrun by uh, COVID. The actual staff at the nursing home where 27 residents have tested positive. I think there's only 29 residents there. The staff is saying they can't care for the residents. They've been all but forgotten about. And the staff there are feeling alone and helpless, according to the examiner this morning. 26 of the 28 residents tested positive, according to the examiner. Other newspapers are saying it was it was 27. Um, the echo leads with the level 5 buy-in that's needed by everybody, that there's um, no reason for people to be complacent about this and that everybody needs to be compliant. So, compliant, not complacent, I suppose. Uh, but the incidents, or at least the positive tests of COVID, are up in most Cork electoral areas. That doesn't come as any surprise, nor does it come as a surprise when you have the likes of Tony, Tony Holohan saying people need to stay at home. Yeah, but not 24-7. They need to get out and use the opportunity to get some exercise and some fresh air. The BlackRock market, which technically could open because markets are deemed to be uh, classed as essential retail outlets, but they have decided it's one of the most popular ones. And unfortunately, it did come in for some criticism in recent weeks. We'd call us on the air about it. They have decided to postpone the market on Sunday mornings until further notice. So that's a story that makes the echo today. And in Dublin, of course, you had these protests got completely out of control. It led to 11 arrests started on um, uh, the, the bridges there off Grafton Street, came across the bridge. We're trying to march like over 300 of them uh, down to the convention centre where the doll meets. Um, and there was a bit of fracas between some of them and indeed the Garda Chacon. And ultimately, 11 were arrested when they uh, marched back up uh, to Grafton Street. Uh, so anyway, all the papers also, also today have photographs from all over the country. We know all about this, of traffic chaos yesterday morning. And I'm seeing reports coming in this morning um, to WhatsApp and indeed some photographs as well uh, with regards to more chaos and more traffic jams on Cork Roads. I have no idea why. The mother and baby homes records will be sealed for 30 years. Uh, that's picked up by all of the papers this morning. It just keeps moving through the different sessions in both the Dáil and the Shannad. And, of course, that affects many of the stories uh, from Besborough. The Mail this morning leads with it. They say mother and baby, uh, actually the mother and baby homes, but they talk of mother and baby of a different type. And this is a tragic story. Newspapers aren't agreeing on this one. Uh, a young mother and her infant son uh, found dead in tragic circumstances. Now, as to whether it's suspicious or not, I don't know. And I don't mean to upset you overly at this hour of the morning. But some papers are saying uh, that uh, when um, the mother, the young mother, Nicola Keane, was found dead, um, she was found in the Lucan area. They then went to her family home to tell family members and they discovered the baby there. Some papers are saying that the baby was dying. Others are saying that the baby had passed away from asphyxiation. It's way too early to say uh, how the baby died, but it's absolutely just devastatingly tragic, and that's the front page of many papers. Uh, there's lots of colour stories and light-hearted stories in the papers, which I will come back to in a few minutes' time. I promise you that. It's going to be a busy morning this morning, and I'm going to try and get through as much as I can and juggle as many different stories as possible. But uh, I was asking you to think about your lockdown challenges. What are you going to do? What are you going to pick up? What are you going to do with your time if, for instance, you're one of those that's a little bit more time on your hands over the next six weeks? So keep those texts coming. Text 0868 106. But to the phone lines we go. Um, Kate, good morning. Morning, Neil. I can, I can understand why you're so annoyed, to be honest with you, because when I saw the photograph from the school, I was thinking, Mother of God, do you really need a fire drill now, these days? But talk to me about it. I was absolutely livid. 
I was one of those parents that were saying our schools have to keep our children safe. They're going to do all these protocols. You know, they have our children's best interests at heart. And I even commented on someone else's post, you know, she was saying, should I take my child out of school? And I was saying, no, look, we'll just do as we're told. The children are safe. You know, they're going to look after them, blah, blah, blah. And then my daughter came home yesterday. From Glanmire Community College. Yeah, yeah, she's in sixth year. Um, she showed me the picture, and like she's a, a she's in sixth year, so she'd be in the senior cycle. She has no reason at all to mix with the junior cycle, but because they were in options, they just had to go and stand wherever, and they were standing next to first and second years. Now, describe the like, photograph, and just, I mean, this was a fire drill, was it? Where, fire drill. D- yeah. Talk to me about um, that. The alarm goes off. Um, is it announced that it's a drill in advance? Do you know what, Neil? I'm not too sure. Okay, let that, that go. So, okay. From my own okay. from my own experience in school, I can remember it being announced that there is going to be a fire drill. But like GCC, it's a massive school. It's a brilliant school, but they've over a thousand students in that school. And what did what did it result in then? A thousand students out in what area? They have um, they have four say like four basketball courts in a row, which which sounds massive, but they also have marquees up in that basketball area to accommodate their lunch breaks. Mm. So it is shortened, and then like I'm not too sure of how many students are there. I know it's definitely over a thousand. I think it's a thousand. And do you think that they were mixing and mingling with different years and too close to each other, etc.? They were, of course. They were, of course. Like, as I said, my daughter's in sixth year and she was standing next to first years and second years. I hate asking the question of bringing up the four-letter word. Were they wearing a mask, each and every one of them? They were. They were. That's one thing now that I will praise the children for. They, They do wear their masks inside in school at all times. And are parents very unhappy and upset about this, considering, I believe, that you got uh, some kind of contact from the school regarding COVID cases? Was there a note sent out? Yeah, no, that was after after they finished school. There was a note came out to say that there was um, confirmed COVID cases. It wasn't case, it was cases. In the school? In the school, yeah, yeah. And this is the second letter that we're after getting. Are you bothered or concerned or worried about that? Oh my God, I was absolutely livid because, as I said, our school should be taking care of our children. And I, I was giving them full confidence. And then to see something like that, like, I don't understand. Okay, like, a fire drill is a necessity. But to a certain extent, could they not have done it year by year? There's loads of grounds in GCC, so they could have, like, you know, put the six years in the front car. I, I don't know why a fire drill was... Uh, I, don't, I mean, it's important, all right, that people know what to do in the event of a fire, but this photograph has, has hundreds and hundreds of students. Now, sometimes the camera can lie, but they do look as if they're all like sardines to me. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, it, it actually drives me mad, Neil, because people are pointing the finger at our young people. They're like, oh, the young people are, that are spreading this, they're doing this, they're doing that wrong. And then their authority is making them do something I like that. I know what you're saying. I know, it's exasperating. You know? It really and truly is. It's exasperating. Like, whether people believe that this is a, a pandemic or not, there's people dying all over the world. And, it, like, people are being so selfish, saying, oh, I'm not wearing a mask at all. Try and save other people. 
just do as you're told and we might get through this, you mm. know? Well, I'm blessed to have health, healthy th- children that, mm. you know, my concerns aren't very great that, you know, they'd be hospitalised or anything. More so than ever before, there's division, I'm noticing it, more so than ever yeah. before. But that that's to be expected as time goes on. But that was um, Glanmire Community College yesterday, an unnecessary fire drill that looked more I like a hazard than a help. The worst part about it, Neil, is they decided to do it on the day of a start of a nationwide level five lockdown. Yeah. Okay. Let's see what they have to say on the matter when and if we can get a comment from them. But thanks, Kate. Mind yourself. Stay safe. No bother. Eileen, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Are you aware of the withdrawal of hand sanitizers because they have methanol in them instead of ethanol? Am I reading that right? Uh, Look, that was just tipped it over the edge. To schools? Um, To schools, yeah. to To the kids. Because they can give this, apparently, this hand sanitizer, there's a risk of dermatitis, itching, and all sorts of skin complaints, isn't it? Yeah, and I think there's a respiratory thing in there as well. Okay. Good measure. Um, Do you know, Neil, it's much the same as everything else. You know, has anything actually looked up properly? Before they put it into place. So in the in the first in the first week of this level five, we've had the withdrawal of hand sanitizers from school because they don't fit the protocol that's needed. We have had um, a major outbreak: twenty six out of twenty seven residents in a nursing home in Galway, um, and uh, we have had traffic chaos in the mornings because of the Garda Shikana, and we have the collapse of the track and trace system. I, I hate yeah. to be negative, but that's the fact. No, well, it's really hard. I mean, if I'm to say a positive, if I'm really to try and root deep here and find positives, I mean, it's keeping the schools open without a shadow of a doubt. But they're in, in fairness to the teachers, the support system isn't there, the contact tracing isn't there. So they throw all these things out and say, let's keep the schools open. But where is the support for the teaching staff? I mean, and the kids. But how ultimately can they keep schools open if the amount of tests coming back positive from schools continue to rise? Well, they can't. It's inevitable that they're going to... The issue there is that they're not actually doing the testing properly and fast enough. If that was happening, you can really control it a little bit better. But at the moment, I think, to be fair to the staff and the teachers, they're not supporting them enough. The kids really do need school for way more reasons than academia. And I think households and homes as well. There's a sense of normality when your kids get up in the morning to go to school. We didn't have that the last time. That's a massive change for everybody in my regard, but especially for the kids. But the government are failing us once again in not having that support system in place before they did this. I mean, it's just beggar's belief. I mean, the fact that the kids can train outdoors, that is a positive and it helps a lot of kids. But then, look, let's face it, it's very hard not to be negative. I look at the over 70s, they can't drive 5k. I know my parents were finding sadly in heading off at a picnic to the beach, going for a walk, getting back in the car and coming home. But that's five or six hours of their day taken up with something healthy and, you know, gets them out of the rush of the house. And I have no answer to that why an elderly couple can't take a flask and a couple oh. of sandwiches and sit at the sit in their car at the beach. I just, I don't know. I mean, It's just senseless. And I suppose at this point, unfortunately, that's what makes this oh so much harder for everybody is that they just don't make sense. I mean, if you look at the numbers, there is no follow-up to numbers on retail, especially retail. Um, that makes no sense to have to close them. I mean, if they're working correctly and it's pleased properly, I cannot understand why they're not open. If they're not, you know, if they're not According or practicing according to regulations, then absolutely close their doors. But most of them, to be fair, they put in huge costs, and that goes for yeah. But a lot of those small retail was just one in, one out, two in, up, yeah. two out. I oh, saw the signs. Like they, they really made an effort, you know. So that's like for instance, Sheena, Sheena's boutique was on the air earlier in the week. It's a reasonably small boutique in on Oliver Plunkett Street. Beautiful beauty, yeah. boutique, but she was limiting numbers in and out all of the time. I think the retail were phenomenally good. So she has to close, but Dunn's can sell clothes. 
Yeah, you know, it's senseless. Here we go. Where's common sense? I mean, there is absolutely none, which is really difficult to take. I suppose you look at other cities, and I mean, if we look at our numbers, most of them are coming from house parties and gatherings. So, you know, a lot of cities have put a curfew on. I have no issue with the curfew, and I don't think other people would too. Ah, they would. They would. If you could keep retail open. Um, no, I think I think they I think they would have an issue with it. That's a form of martial law. Not everybody would blink would blindly uh, sign up for that. Well, a lot of the cities are doing it. I don't know. I mean, I don't think where are people going anyway. Most of us are stuck at home anyway. So Why would you? Really be, where would you be going anywhere at nine or ten at night point, that you would right? need martial well, law? It would, what it would do is it would control young people maybe a little bit more. Because okay. to be fair, it is very hard to control them. I just wanted to say to you, Neil. You know, when it comes to the kids, and actually I am open, thank God, because it is a mental health service. But what I would like to say is that within the home, if we could try, and this is hard, I know, but if we could try and focus with the kids on what they can do, you know, they can help out grandparents, they can write letters, they can draw pictures for them and put them in the post, they can, they have the power to put a smile on someone's face. And I think the more of that that we really try and instill in them, the better, because if they feel they can help someone, it does make them feel a little bit better. Appreciate that. the negativity is just so difficult for them to take. We don't understand all this, let alone kids. So I think we have to just be so aware of our behaviour and our talking around them. And I know it's difficult because we're all struggling a bit, but they're, they're just too young to take this on and to take on too many worries. We have to really watch our speech and the way we speak. And there's an awful lot that they can do. You know, you can exercise at home with them. And definitely, I think, uh, help, let, just making them aware of the people they can help, whether it's a neighbour, a relative, anybody who might be on their own, they can throw something in the post to them or just try and keep some form of contact open. And that does really help them. OK, appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Let's see what the weekend be- brings them with regards to people's movement and their activity. Um, the gyms, of course, are closed. I'd like to keep this anonymous, but I felt it was right to use my voice in this instance. I'm a 21-year-old girl recovering from mental health issues. I was attending counselling and going to the gym to help my mental health. Both have now been taken away from me. I'm in floods of tears this morning over this. I just don't understand how it's OK for me to go to work and my little sister can go to school but yet I can't attend my counselling in which I wear a mask and maintain social distancing. It's clear as day our government doesn't care about our mental health at all and something has to change. I was finally making progress and now I feel as if the dar- hard work I've gone, I've done is gone down the drain. I understand counselling can be done on Zoom, but it's not the same. The whole point is picking yourself up, getting yourself out of the house, attending the sessions which are crucial for your mental health. And I know for a fact I'm not the only one feeling like this. Don't give up my details. Well, I won't, but I wish you well. I would have thought that counselling would have been an essential service uh, and on a one-on-one basis um, with a mask on or even counselling in a room large enough for you to be distant apart would still be in place. I train in MyFit, uh, is it My Fitness, small independent gym in Balancolic. Since they reopened for that spell, they complied with all the guidelines to a T. There's an appointment system in place for personal training uh, and for gym sessions and personal trainers all wear masks. Before you enter the gym, your temperature was checked. The equipment was spaced out. Partitions were put up between the cardio. Everything was sanitized and all members sanitized the equipment down after use. There is a risk in everything we do now but have there been so many precautions put in place elsewhere? I feel perfectly safe in the gym. The benefits I get from my mental health outweighs any risk to which they are trying their utmost to limit. I hope the government changed their stance. It's essential for people's mental health. Please don't give up my details for fear of identification, but level five's a joke. Cork City Centre was packed yesterday with families and people of all ages. Every shop has deemed themselves as essential and are staying open.
Even charities are trying to force their workers in behind closed doors to take donations and make contact with the public, a lot of which would have to use public transport to get to work. I understand, or my understanding of Level 5, was not to be out and about and only leaving your home for exercise and essential shopping. You can't stand in your elderly parents' garden, but you can still sit outside hillbillies in their outdoor seating and eat food surrounded by strangers. What's all that about? When will we ever get these numbers under control, says a concerned Corkonian. And then many other texts and emails on that and lots more. Besides, we'll pick it up after the break. Text 0868 uh, Kevin's standing by. I also want to tell you of a very, very worrying and alarming incident in, in Ballancolic, which I want to bring to your attention after these. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at NeilRedFM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Some of the other colour stuff that's making the papers. You know you hear of uh, alcohol-free beer and then there was a problem with the widget in the cans of Guinness during the week. Apparently, Guinness are making the papers this morning with the mirror saying that Guinness have launched an alcohol-free stout. They've been developing it, apparently, for four years. So you're going to get alcohol-free Guinness. I wonder what that would taste like. I mean, the, the, the alcohol-free beers are flying, particularly the Heineken Zero. So it'll be interesting to see if they get it on the market for Christmas. Guinness Zero. They also say, from the latest research from Witch Magazine, that you're wasting your time buying those small little doonchy television sets because the sound quality is awful and the picture quality is awful. Well, we kind of know that. And they're saying you really need to be going for the 4K ones. I was out in Harvey Normans recently. I saw an 85-inch television set. I mean, it is just ginormous. It sticks on the wall. One of those ultra-flat ones. But what they don't tell you is the price difference between a 50 or a 60 incher and a 32 inch. The bigger they are, the more you pay for them. I mean, you remember years ago, the old black and whites, the black and white televisions, they were notoriously unreliable. Um, they took forever to turn on because everything had to heat up before the picture came along. And of course, because it was aerials and the technology was so new, um, the picture was phasey and hazy and would come and go. And for those of you that aren't old, old enough to remember, there was a stage for many, many years when it was one channel. And right up until the back end of the 80s, it was just two channels down here. I mean, it was so, so limiting. Everything's changed now. I mean, you've got every single thing. Uh, available now at your fingertips but the latest research is saying you need to go big baby and unfortunately we need to steal this one back the sun this morning is saying that Galway has been chosen as Europe's friendliest city ahead of Dublin second huh huh what's going on this is the Condé Nast the Condé Nast Travellers why aren't we in there Galway first Dublin second we need to work on that next year and also if you are a music fan the the mystery of American Pie continues uh, because apparently in the latest interview given by Don McLean, he's gone some way to talk about what American Pie is all about, but not far enough. He says that parts of it are about the death of his dad, but no matter how much you quiz him about this song, he keeps on holding things back. We all thought it was Buddy Holly. The reason he's holding things back, he's saying, well, if Carly Simon can stay very vague and, and coy about who she wrote You're So Vain About, um, why shouldn't I stay just as coy uh, and as careful about American Pie? Maybe that's the joy of it, kind of like the mystery, the not knowing. Anyway, a couple of the colour stories in the papers this morning. Text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go and Kevin's been holding. Kevin, your daughter owns a salon that's now closed, is it? Yeah, good morning, Neil. Absolutely. Um, I suppose just, just listening yesterday to the conversation generated about the gyms, um, it just uh, 
led me to Caltech. So really just to... Yeah, well, not just gyms when you think of it, but also golf, which can be a very isolated sport, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and listen, I'm, I'm a tennis player myself, so... And like, tennis. I, I suppose the, the, the point is that I wanted to raise was, you know, the, the, the beauty salon business. And I, I do have a vested interest, as I said, because my daughter has the salon, but it just, it just appears to me that this blunt sledgehammer approach to closures is just so unfair and unethical. Um, and the worry is, whatever about, you know, this is the second time that the same businesses have been hit with the decision of, uh, to close. And the worry for, for, for these fantastic people is there's already a conversation about a third uh, lockdown looming in January, February. Possibly. Like, yeah. these, they can't continue with this sledgehammer approach closing the same businesses again and again. It has to surely be evidence-based. Uh, and there is no evidence that, that, that we're aware of to to, to link salons or, or, or golf or the likes of the gyms to, um, to any spread of the virus. So it's absolutely criminal that they're closing these people again. Um, like they contribute so much to the local communities. And like, in particular... Like women have been very hardly hit in, in, in I think in this series of the lockdowns like people mentioned a while ago the, like the salons the the boutiques the, the clothes outlets the jewellery shops uh, hairdressing shops everything yeah they, uh, uh, lockdown like where's the so is it too much to risk though that all of the gyms and all of the salons and all of the beauticians would all play ball you know is well, there too neither, much to risk like these, to reopen, just for for example, for, for and, I, and, I, and I just stick to the beauty salons because that's what I know about. But in order for for them to reopen uh, and get their uh, place in order and follow the, the guidelines, they have to invest heavily uh, in PPE, uh, perfect screens, masks, visors, everything, signage. They can only have one person in their business at any given time, and it has to be pre-booked. Uh, they can't have even have a person in the waiting area. They'd have to give up even uh, walk-in business. So it's highly regulated. One person at a time, uh, all the sanitizing that goes on, they've had to give extra time between uh, appointments to sanitize before and after. And the, the, the client who is due to come in after the, the previous client can't even enter the door until they're contacted by the therapist. To that, to know that I know, and, and that's in the them. ideal scenario, you know. Yeah, yeah, and also look, it it has to make you wonder, I think as well about the decision makers and all of this. Like it's the, the gender balance is not even there. I mean, when you look at it, Taoiseach, Tanister, Health Minister, Finance Minister, all the the Neffet people, they're all male. There's no gender balance. I wonder if there was a proper gender balance, would would there be a different view on what is actually essential businesses? How do you mean? You know? Like there's no female voice whatsoever in any of this decision making. And uh, no, but the cabinet, the cabinet sign off on a lot of these decisions, and we do have ministers at the table. Yeah, large need when, when you look at uh, you know. Well, the Neffet, the Neffet and the heads of go- have the Neffet and heads of government departments. You're saying is it? There are women Neffet, in Neffet. Neffet, and and when you look at who's who, who's at these cru- crucial meetings are the Taoiseach, Tanister, Health Minister, Finance Minister, Tony Holland. Uh, yeah, and, and the Neffet uh, team, which is made up of four males as well. It's all male. It's but not, not Neffet itself. Well. The larger Neffet group is like 20 or 30 of them, isn't it? There's, there's yeah, men and women the, on it. The Neffet group that attend the meetings are four males. 
Yeah, the, uh, the meeting that meets the cabinet. Yeah, the cabinet. Absolutely. So I'm just saying, like, it, it, I wonder would there be a different attitude to what is actually essential, classed as essential businesses if there was a proper gender balance there making these decisions. Um, like, to me, and like I hear this all the time from like my daughters, my wife, my my female friends. Going to a beauty salon, salon isn't just about a beauty treatment. There's a hell of a lot more to it. Like, there's a personal relationship built up over time with your clients. I mean, these are these clients come every two to three weeks. There's a personal relationship built up. It's a it's a mental health outlet. It's a friendship, laughter, uh, everything that goes with it. Uh, and so I hope out of this conversation that it might spark some conversation about what these small businesses actually do mean to people. Fair you know? play. Okay, and I've got a lot of texts and emails with that in mind. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks a million. Cheers, my man. Uh, very succinct, very to the point. Uh, Tracy, good morning. Good morning. Okay, I have a lot of emails and texts which I'll plow through. So go ahead. What's on your mind? Um, the gym. The best thing I ever done was go to the gym because I was kind of very anxious, uh, depressed at the time. I was hitting up to a size 20. Um, in clothes and um, when I went when I went to the gym, it actually helped with my anxious and being depressed and everything else. And I just think it should be open now, so people could actually just go there just to release their stress. Are you talking about a one-on-one gym now, where you're with yeah. a personal trainer on yeah, your own? Or are you talking about a big own. open gym, everybody on running and rowing machines even and cross even personal training, just even something just to help. Just to get yourself out of the house. But can you can you can you not adapt to do it yourself? I'm just curious. Like, can no, you... I try. I tried the last time, and now nah, I just felt in a rush. It's not the same. You just, I think it's you need that kind of bit of a push and something that you to get up in the morning. You're you have that in your mind that you're going to the gym. Or, the discipline you know, of it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. You no, know, so it really really helps with your mental health and everything else. So your mental health improved. Did your weight drop? Oh, yeah, big time. I'm down to a size t- 10 to 12 now. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, you don't, you don't want to lose that work. That's fantastic. No, I worked really, really hard. And with the help of the gym and my personal trainer, I'm just, I feel fantastic. Well, you need to, have you a plan in place now to continue on your journey? Because you don't want to be going back. Yeah, hopefully online. I'm just waiting to see what's going to happen. So, That's an incredible achievement, yeah. Tracy. Well done. Yeah. Eight stone. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm fantastic at the moment. So I just want to keep that going, you know. Do keep it going because it's yeah. hard to lose it. But I tell you, you must agree with me when I say it's harder to keep it off. I know it is. It is. Good you luck with that. Everything. Yeah. Good luck with that. Fair play. Well done. Cheers, Tracy. Take care of yourself. Um, I totally agree with uh, every caller talking yesterday, um, particularly with regards to Louise, except I don't think she's fair in saying that you personally drive the same HSE government narrative. But we do need to question more and think more. I'm no conspiracy theorist, but I did find it very odd to hear an advert on your show at 9.15 a.m. Tuesday morning about the government going into level five from midnight Wednesday. The Taoiseach only announced it at 9 p.m. the night before. Are we to believe that the radio ad was made late Monday night and, submi- and submitted to all radio stations by the next morning? Or a more logical explanation was that the ad was made days before, which means the government knew what they were going to do, but kept us all guessing 
panicking and brewing up more anxiety for days, and especially all day Monday, as we awaited the news Monday night. Just something to think about. Love the show. Listen every morning, and I think the show is well balanced, despite what some people might say. Well, I would hate if everybody was agreeing with everything that I did. That would make no sense. It'd be quite boring. But thank you for your input, Colm. Actually, I never thought about that. How did they get an ad on the air at 9.15 the next morning when the Taoiseach only made the announcement the night before? I do not know. I think what modern technology, to be quite honest with you, you can zip audio files all over the world in a matter of seconds. So I would be assuming that the ad was made sometime on Monday evening, zipped around to radio stations and into ad breaks first thing Tuesday morning. That's just my thought. Uh, to line six, Mylene, who's done with rules. She's had enough. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> I'm done, Neil. I am done. Eileen you know, the rebel. Eileen, well, not really. I'm a Kerry woman and everybody knows my accent now. I've been on with you a few times. And every time I'm on, people are going, ah, your mom was on the radio again this morning. So, yes, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm really done, Neil, because I tell you, I am sick of the whole thing. I have had COVID myself. I got over, thank God, you know, um, and I, where I got it, nobody in my um, bubble got it from me, so I passed it on to nobody, which was great. And, you know, I can't see why there's not more of that going on, and they're like, these rules, my God, they are playing with people's mental health. You know? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's it, it, like... Suicide will be ramping up. We just don't know where this is going to. We know, we know that. But how are you done with the rules? Are are you are you talking about? Are you going to say you're not going to wash your hands anymore? You're not going to wear a mask. You're going to have a house party. What like? (laughs) No, I'm. I will wash my hands and I will wear a mask because I think they are essential. Okay. What about if it's a filthy mask like mine and you keep it inside in your pocket and you got them inside in the dash of the car? God only knows where. I think everybody has. I saw a guy the other day. He's about thirty hanging off the mirror of his car. And I looked and I kind of went, geez, what's this about? Like, you know, but <laughs> I said nothing and it wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be on me to say something, to be honest. But no, I will wear the mask, Neil. I will wash my hands. I won't have a huge house party. But don't stop me driving more than five kilometres. Just don't. And I, I feel bad for the guards that are out on the road yesterday and today doing this because I'm sure they don't want to be there. They didn't join the guards to police the, well, they did, to police the Irish people, but not in this way. If I couldn't go more than five kilometres, I wouldn't get to the shop, Neil, where I live. Well, you're allowed then to go further than five But you know, you are, but then it's where, then you get stopped. Where are you going? You know, that really plays on your mental health, with me anyway, every day, day in, day out. Where are you going? Being stopped by a guard. But just say I'm going, just say I'm going to Tesco. Yeah, and do you know what, Neil? It's, you know, I'm, I'm 52 years of age, you know, and as I tell people, my mother is dead, so I don't listen to anybody else, really. I listen to my mother, she was a strong woman, and I'm, I'm just tired of, where are you going? Christ, you wouldn't ask that of anybody, like, you know, day in, day out, and then with these people making the rules, who are Dublin mentality, you know, they can go five kilometres and they can probably meet 100,000 people. They have their choice of takeaways, of different supermarkets. You know, they're, they're dictating to us country people for where they are living. You know, they have no concept whatsoever of what they're doing to Ireland. 
you know, I've loads of neighbours who live alone, who maybe there's a couple in the house. And I know people who live alone can go somewhere, you know, now. But what about the couple that are living together and they're, you know, 75 years of age? They're supposed to stay at home, you know, and meet nobody. That's the challenge. Well, that's the challenge. That's the challenge that people have been asked to do. Can we not all start being responsible for ourselves? And if somebody wants to be stupid... But they tried that, they said. They tried that. They tried that with the relaxed rules and they tried it at level three and none of it worked. Well, yes, Actually, interestingly no enough, interesting enough, the numbers started to go back up when the schools were reopened and people started and wearing more masks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, you see, this is it. I mean, the schools opened. It's clear the numbers are gone up, but they're hellbent on putting our young children. I have a grandchild who is nearly five, and they're hellbent on sending that child to school every day of the week. My daughter is a teacher, and they're hellbent on sending her. So why are my two uh, family members, why is their health okay and why doesn't anyone worry about them yet the hairdresser and I love hairdressers I love getting my hair done but we have to protect the hairdresser and, and close her business do you know that the government I know you know that the government are in the convention centre now not the doll to the best of my knowledge are you saying that you know for a fact that the doll bar is open you're saying it in I a t- read it I'm, well, I'm not saying for a fact but I read it last night on Facebook there was ah um, sure forget about uh, that, sure, that no 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 but away. listen Neil Facebook. yeah I know I know what you're saying but it was just, it was kind of in a, an official looking thing and it just said it that the the doll one part was open but the other bar wasn't is it sure listen, it can't be it's, cover, it's governed by the same licensing laws as every other pub and are you telling me that there's no pub open today in Ireland Neil there's are you not. really believing that oh, I mean there's not there's none legally Would opened you, Exactly. So, so legally is the word we use here. All right. The last lockdown, I remember passing a street, I won't name it, and there were gentlemen standing in the lane with smoking cigarettes. And I was like, they can't be standing there because the pubs are closed. Oh, listen, I, I know. And I watched, yeah. because I know they. And I watched people being in and out of a pub. And we were on full lockdown need. So, you know what? If those people can bend the rules, so can I. And All right. me driving from one place to the other is a problem. I'm just going to keep doing it. So you're telling me you're going to drive past the 5K, not to the shops. You're just going to do whatever you want to do. If I want to, well, not whatever I want to do, but if I want to visit my children and my grandchildren, I will do it. Yes, but you can do that if you're living alone. Yes, but you know what? No, it's a pain in the arse anyway. And I I will do it and I will go beyond the five kilometers and I will, I'll just do it. I'm, I'm done. Sick of it. Okay. You know, All right. and okay. I think most people in Ireland are that I've been speaking to. Okay, let's see, speaking, how many, let's see how many people are with you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, probably I'll be land based as usual. <laughs> let's find out. Thanks a lot, Eileen. Text 0868104106. A free food Friday again today with Oak Fire Pizza now. I know it's a different week of uh, free food Friday, but that shouldn't change anything because, firstly, there still are people going to work, and then there are also people who are working from home. So the same rules apply. Free food Friday, courtesy of and Oak Fire Pizza, Princess Street, Clonakilty and Bandon. They'll sort out lunch for you and your team. Now, what we're organising is six large pizzas with sides and wood-fired baby potatoes and garlic bread dips and drinks and homemade mini cheesecake tasters and all sorts of stuff like that. So the same rules apply. Text who you are and where you are, who you're working for. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Same rules. It doesn't really matter now if you're at home working. Um, it doesn't really matter if you're in the office working or in the factory or in the retail space. Do get in touch. Text who you are and where you are to 086-8104-106. Free Food Friday, Oak Fire Pizza, Piping Hot Large Pizzas. Go for it. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Okay, Gardy, you're investigating an assault, an incident that occurred on Old Fort Road. 
Road. Now it's located behind behind the Castle West Shopping Centre in Ballincollig. This is from Garda Press this morning. Uh, they're investigating an assault incident that occurred there behind the Castle West Shopping Centre in Ballincollig on the road actually uh, around half past three. Uh, yesterday afternoon, um, there was an altercation between the driver of a car and a pedestrian. The pedestrian, uh, aged in his 70s, was then subsequently brought to Cork University Hospital. Um, the guardies say with non-life-threatening injuries, but I've seen the video footage of this. The guards are saying that no arrests have been made, an investigation is ongoing, and they are appealing for anyone who witnessed the incident or motorists with camera footage, and God knows there was, there always is, to contact Ballincolly Garda Station on 4214680. That's the Garda response, but um, I've seen a lot of screen grabs, and I've also seen videos. Uh, one person was saying, I don't usually post anything, but I was so distressed after watching it, and wondering if anyone knows if the elderly man attacked uh, from down the village today is actually okay. Other people saw this video that was doing the rounds, um, uh, one person says, I've, I've actually uh, just uh, seen people who share the video, not eyewitnesses. Uh, maybe we should, maybe we should actually then this talk about sending it to me. Uh, another person says, I'm sick to my stomach after seeing it. It was sent, it was sent to me in a message. Um, seemingly a couple were walking down the old Fort Road, an elderly couple. They crossed the road and someone in a car nearly knocked them down. Uh, then apparently it's alleged the man the elderly man must have said something to the driver because the driver got out of his car and attacked the man, literally. He started beating into him. He pushed him right into, onto the road. Um, um, and I don't, I, I've seen the video footage, but anyway, in the end, and like the elderly woman is there next to the elderly man who's clearly on the ground with this guy over him. And then this character then walks off, gets into his car and actually drives off. Now, astonishingly, there are other cars in the area. Um, apparently, the young fellow was screaming and cursing at everyone, got into his car and sped off after nearly running the couple over. Uh, and other people said he went through a stop sign. What they mean by a stop sign, I don't know whether it's a yield sign or a red light, I do not know. So, it looks awful, but again, it's made look even worse by somebody with their window down, with this elderly man on the ground, and they're filming all of this. Now, you could say, that's the only reason you're able to talk about it, because you have the film foot. I know, but you would think that someone um, these days would think, well, I better intervene here rather than take out my mobile web on my mobile phone uh, and actually film it. So it's, it's very strange out there. Um, so I have an update on that. I'll come back to it. But if you witnessed it, if you have any information as to what happened yesterday afternoon with regards to that elderly couple and the driver, please get in touch with me. Text 0868104106, even anonymously. But here's another one for you now. I can't take a call till after 10, guys. I don't have time. My apologies. But just on the, on the same kind of irateness or anger that's out there. I hope you and your gang are all well. Me? Well, I'm not so well. After what happened to me yesterday, I'm shaking writing this email to you. I had an altercation with a woman yesterday. I certainly wouldn't call her a lady. To cut a long story short, we were coming towards each other in our cars in a car park. I had the right of way, but she insisted on driving at me. I had no choice but to eventually reverse out of it. Can I add, she was one of those um, in the car with the big car attitude. I drive a Focus. She was driving a big Mercedes. This one now thought that she owned the road. Anyhow, she kept coming towards me and had a head on her. 
I did get annoyed with her. She, you know, we're all on tenterhooks these days. I could see that she was leaving her window down to have a few words with me. And to, and let me tell you, I'm not shy, especially when I'm in the right. So I left down my window too. Don't you love that? I left down my window. Anyway, she, she went on, anyway, accusing me of being in the wrong. And I told her it was she who was in the wrong. So we continued having a few words. I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere with her, as she had the big car. I had the small one. Sure, of course, I'd have to be wrong. Anyway, I told her to calm down and to relax. She went on again, complaining to me, complaining to me. Uh, and I just kind of, uh, and I was just going to drive off. Uh, she couldn't get the better of me. Next thing, she started coughing, like on purpose, and started shouting at me, COVID, 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 coughing, coughing, coughing. I couldn't believe what she had done. Isn't it an assault to do such a thing, to cough repeatedly and shout COVID? It is actually. The guards would love to talk to her about that. I know we were at a distance, but for her to start coughing like that and shouting COVID, COVID, isn't this even a criminal offence? And do you know what beat all? She was from China. <laughs> why, is, why is that relevant? She was from China. You couldn't make this up. I'm not racist, but I mean, come on. We know where the virus originated. Uh, and then here's this one coughing, threatening me with COVID. It's a disgrace. Uh, please don't give up my details for I fear for any re- repercussions um, if I identified. But I hope people will appreciate my honesty. Love the show. Um, there have been issues in the past, actually, where people coughed and shouted COVID, COVID, particularly at members of the Garda Shikona. It has ended up in court. Um, and somebody needs to talk to this woman because uh, if, if nothing else, she me- she needs to be made sure that she never, ever does that again. But you can see how angry people have got and, you know, how kind of irate they've got or how anxious they've got. Back after 10 on 1850-104-106. Lines are open at 1850-104-106. You can text 0868-104-106. Free Food Friday. I've just, I'm just jigging, rejigging it up actually because um, many people in the workplace are still working from home but others are still at work. So here's how Free Food Friday is going to work today and for weeks to come. Okay, I still want you to get in touch who you are, where you are, where you're working. Uh, but the difference is uh, I've organized 10 vouchers for large pizzas to give away instead for Free Food Friday. We need to adapt to the circumstances we're living in. So these vouchers then can be used at Oak Fire Pizza, Princess Street, Clonakilty and Bandon. So you might be working from home. You might be looking after the kids. You might be looking after a parent. You might be looking after yourself. Perhaps you're at home because the restrictions have closed your workplace. But maybe you are working. Maybe you're a frontline worker. Maybe you're an essential worker. So whatever you are, it really just kind of throws the doors open to everybody, if you like. Text who you are and where you are to 086-8104-106. And we have 10 winners now every week. 10 large pizza vouchers. And you can book directly uh, from Oak Fire Pizza online at oakfirepizza.ie. So a couple of shout-outs then to get the ball rolling. Mary and all of the staff at Argos and Mahan still open serving customers. To all of the clerical staff at Anglesey Street Garda Station. For AP Vaughan Recycling and Tower. For all the medical records in the A&D who are working away. Lunch, please, for the Maguire Suite, the dementia unit at uh, St. Luke's Home in... Uh, and that's including Rena who texts regularly. Um, actually... Of course, it's lunch now. 
yeah, fair enough, but it's 10 different pizza vouchers for 10 winners. Ashgrove Recycling in Churchfield, working away as ever. All of the gang at Capwell Bus Station, particularly Paul and everybody there. Um, I'm an advanced paramedic. I'm working with Clonakilty Ambulance Base. We'd love some pizza. We're starting a four-night shift for the bank holiday tonight. Morning to Olive Murphy. To everybody at Vibes and Scribes in Bridge Street. While all the shops are closed to the public, our team from all three shops are working away dealing with online orders. Uh, please, we'd love a pizza for everybody at Systac Systems in McCroom working hard in the pandemic. Morning, Catherine. To all of the staff at Kevin Dondon Financial Services, Kevin Condon even, in Blackpool, Blarney and Glanmire. And to all of the staff at Jones Engineering in Little Island. There's 17 staff in working because construction is working. So keep those texts coming. Text who you are and where you are to 086 8104 It's very, very important to acknowledge the week that we're in now because uh, much of the celeb- much of the centenary um, commemorations for both McCurtain and McSweeney had to be cancelled because of COVID-19. But it's important to acknowledge what was going on in our city 100 years ago this year and more importantly this week and even more importantly again this weekend. More on that next. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. So on Sunday, the 25th of October, we'll be marking the 100th anniversary of the death of Cork Lord's Mayor, Lord Mayor Terence McSweeney after 74 days in a hunger strike. Now, earlier in the year, in March, I did a, a, a program or a section of a program on the murder of Tomás McCurtain uh, at his home in Blackpool um, by members of the TANS and the RIC. Uh, we, we we took a look at that at the time and of course there was all sorts of commemorations that were planned I will say in fairness to RT they did a lot of coverage on McSweeney and indeed McCurtain this week Nationwide did a couple of super duper sections with uh, a lot of the historians uh, and collegiates at UCC and then last night we had the uh, incredible documentary that I watched on the 74 days of McSweeney's hunger strike where they used a lot of modern tech and they actually looked at the medical records from 100 years ago. I don't know whether you saw it or not. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it on the player. But I'm joined uh, by Gabriel Doyle, UCC Department of History, member of the National Commemoration Committee himself. Gabriel, good morning. Good morning. So, so what we what we do know is that a uh, hundred a hundred years ago, um, the world was very much watching um, Certainly McCurtain's death was was very much covered internationally by the press, but all of the newspapers around the world were covering almost on a daily basis McSweeney's hunger strike, weren't they? The four yes, corners. Yes, of the I mean world. it's 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 remarkable. I've had a look at a number of the, the leading American newspapers, things like the New York Times, the, the Washington Post, the Chicago Herald Tribune, all the, the big uh, dailies in America, and every single one of them for for weeks on end had had this item on its front page. Uh, it, it was, and again, not just in, in the English-speaking world. Uh, I've had a look at newspapers in Latin America, and the, on the day he dies, the front page of the major newspaper in Rio de Janeiro has, has the, had its lead article with uh, a drawing of uh, McSweeney. So it, it was global news. And in terms of, I suppose, the link back with Thomas McCurtain, it wasn't just simply the, the death, but also the inquest verdict, which found the, the, the accusation of guilt not just against the ROC, but also against David Lloyd George. That put uh, the spotlight very much on Cork and, and certainly, to a certain extent, put the crosshairs on McSweeney himself. Yes, and, and of course... 
a lot of that international press at the time with regards to McSweeney's hunger strike was calling for intervention because he was in jail. Um, we must remember that he was on a hunger strike in jail and uh, American, the American president was asking for his release. Even the king tried to intervene in the UK to allow him to be freed from jail and on that basis he would end the hunger strike. But c- can you just set the scene because it was 1920, a couple of years after we had come out of the Spanish flu. We were in the middle of the War of Independence. It was just before Michael Collins came to the fore. Um, the Black and Tans were in Cork. It was certainly a very, very worrying... Um, uh, um, but like, people were on tenterhooks constantly because the Tans were everywhere just shooting people at random, weren't they? I mean, I'm doing a daily blog on the School of History website where I'm looking at the newspapers for each day of the hunger strike. And there's just sheer anarchy. Uh, it's remarkable when one looks back. I mean, practically every part of it, there's something happening somewhere at some point during the day. And in Cork, of course, which was the cockpit. And a lot of it is connected to the hunger strikes. I mean, Cork was already disturbed um, before the hunger strikes began. And again, I use the plural there. Remember to the... the there was a hunger strike in Cork Jail. Michael Fitzgerald uh, had passed away already on the 17th of October, and Joseph Murphy was to pass away uh, on the same day as Terence McSweeney. But the hunger strikes really acted as a focal point for the anger uh, that was felt in Cork uh, as to what was going on. And uh, it's it's no coincidence that this, as it were, forms uh, the, the the mood music behind uh, the increasing activities of the IRA and, and the increasingly violent response of the British forces, including a large number uh, of flagrant reprisals for IRA actions, which were, of course, illegal. There were reprisals across the year. There was Kill Michael, there was Bloody Sunday, there was the killing of Kevin Barry, there was ultimately the burning of Cork. Um, but there were other people on hunger strike, as you say, I think 11 besides McSweeney, and some of them Corkonians, who pretty much almost got forgotten about, didn't they? Yes, uh, I, I would say that they tended to be overshadowed rather than completely eclipsed. I mean, in looking at the newspaper coverage, uh, there's never really an instance where no reference is made to them, uh, but they tend to be a little lower down the page or slightly less covered. And I suppose that, that's to a certain extent inevitable. I mean, if one remembers the context, uh, McSweeney's in London. He's in Brixton Prison in London, so he's in the very heart of the enemy's capital, whereas uh, the 11 hunger strikers were, were in Cork. He's on his own. Uh, uh, solitary process where they are collective together. That's not to, to suggest that the sacrifice of all of them weren't equal, but in terms of, of the publicity, it helps to explain why uh, McSweeney's hunger strike uh, generated as much sympathy as he did, and also just in terms of who he was. He was he was uh, an intellectual, he was a poet, he was a playwright, he, he was uh, a young husband, he just got married, he had a, a young daughter. So all of these uh, aspects, he was a very devout Catholic and, and generally speaking... With the support of the church on this, yeah? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, the, it's interesting that there was a debate, largely within the English Catholic Church, not so much within the Irish Catholic Church, as to the morality of his action. And there was some, a small number of, of clerics on, on the English side who were arguing that the hunger strike, in effect, was not licit, that it was a form of, of suicide. Uh, within the Irish Catholic Church, there was, generally speaking, support for the action, and said, given the specific circumstances that obtained in, in his case, 
And in the case of, of the Cork, they, they weren't taking their own lives. They were giving their lives as a soldier would in battle. Um, so there, there was a distinction. There, there was an attempt made by the British to try and get the Vatican to intervene to, to, to condemn the hunger strike. But the Vatican, I think, very wisely uh, kicked to touch and, and referred the matter to one of its internal committees, which, of course, would take a very long time. And that suited the hunger strikers. So long as they, they weren't condemned uh, by the church, that was really all they were, they were concerned about. And let's, let's deal then with the final days of his life, because throughout the hunger strike, there were three powerful women in his life who never left him, supported him, never wavered with his decision to go on hunger strike, I believe, and that was his wife and two sisters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and... and uh, one shouldn't uh, underestimate just the sheer strain on both of those. Either. I mean, obviously the, the focus is on the strain on Terence McTweeny, but his wife collapses. I mean, his wife isn't able to attend uh, the funeral simply because the, the, the cumulative burden uh, of having to go to London and to live in London for the duration of the hunger strike, seeing her husband, in effect, waste away before her eyes, making any amount of efforts to try and get the British government to intervene, to the American government to intervene, to get the British Labour movement to intervene, all of which seem to, to come to nothing. Uh, and, and at one stage, I believe, certainly watching that incredible documentary last night, The 74 Days of McSweeney, there was uh, a lot of pressure on his wife and, and his two sisters to have him force-fed. In fact, at one stage, they did force-feed him, yes? Without the consent of the family, again, obviously without McSweeney's consent and the family were dead set against it. This is just, uh, it's roughly, indeed, even yesterday, 100 years ago, uh, he collapsed. He, he became comatose and delirious. And the doctors believing it was their duty uh, under the law to try and keep him alive. And, of course, one shouldn't neglect the fact that the doctors were in a very, very difficult position in terms of their professional ethics. But he was. He was forced like while he was asleep. Uh, it was, this would be different to perhaps some of the previous force feedings, uh, for example, of Thomas Ashe in 1917, where he died of force feeding while he was awake. But while he was unconscious, uh, some food was, was administered to him, something which he, which he was aware of when he woke and he tasted and then in effect he, he spat it out uh, and there was the distribution it, it, it of fake news as well I believe there was fake news as well wasn't it watching that documentary last night they alluded to the fact that some people in the UK were saying that McSweeney was cheating yes of course uh, I mean and, and he wasn't just some people it's, uh, many voices in parliament uh, were suggesting uh, no doubt some members of government of course one, one shouldn't forget the fact that he was under the complete control of the, the British government he was in a British jail with, with under constant supervision there was never a moment when he was in effect alone and any visitors to him were of course thoroughly searched so the idea that somehow though he was being surreptitiously fed was nonsensical any more than the prisoners in Cork jail I suppose the point is that people just didn't comprehend how long somebody could could survive on hunger strike remember and the, the doctors involved in, in the Cork strike made this point that there was no precedent for what had happened on the one hand you have people who are starving themselves on the other hand they're receiving first class medical supervision uh, this is different from obviously people who, who died of hunger for example during the great famine or, or in other situations where they're, they're moving around they may be getting cold using up their bodily energy the, 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 everything was being done to, to keep them alive yes and of some of example. them took water McSweeney didn't did he no, yeah, no, he did take one. Well, no, it wouldn't be possible to survive that long. Oh, then. okay. Well, so I'm glad you corrected me on that. So, but, but, what, but what was being alleged was that this water was containing nutrients and so on and so forth. And McSweeney made it abundantly clear if he had even the slightest suspicion that that was being the case, then he would cease to take water and start a thirst strike as well as a, a hunger strike. But it was uh, a slow, yeah, torturous, painful death, though. 
So, uh, with regard to the hunger strikes, uh, was very, very intense. Both sides, of course, seeking to, to get their message out. Generally speaking, it's probably fair to say that, uh, as with the, the War of Independence generally, uh, that the Republicans did a better job of getting their view of what was happening out. But it wasn't for the want of trying on the part of the British. It was, I was just saying, it was a very slow, torturous, painful death with his body racked in pain. And, and uh, after 73 days, about to go into 74 days, he just passed away. Yeah. Uh, what yeah, was I, mean, I mean, it's, what, one, uh, one could imagine just what agony is anybody. <laughs> so, 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 to, to adopt a slightly lighter, I mean, if I go without food for a day, uh, I think the same is true for most of us. We start feeling it uh, to go through all of that. And, and one should remember that the British, what the British constantly did was to place food in front of him. Uh, he, the food, the, the meals that he was entitled to take, and which, to a certain extent, the prison authorities were obliged to provide him, were always placed in front of him. The, this was not a gesture that was appreciated by McTreeny or the family, because, of course, they regarded it as a, almost as a form of taunting him. Um, so he, he, he saw... To coerce him to stop, yes. Yes, yes, and, 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 and one can imagine that the temptation must have been very, very great, but he, he was a man of iron will. I mean, that's one thing of studying the man, is that once he made his mind up to do anything, he saw it through, come what may. Uh, and, of course, the, the fact that he did have I mean, somebody like Father Dominic, the one of the Capuchin priests attached to the, the monastery out in Rochestown, was coming in and, and seeing him every day. Uh, he, was, he was a very devout Catholic and took solace from readings of various different Catholic authors, Thomas Kempis and so on and so forth, as well as the support from the family and what he knew was the international support because the family were able to, to show him and tell him uh, the gestures of support coming from various different elected bodies in Ireland, the international uh, endorsements and so on and so forth. Okay, and so therefore, at the a- and then at the age of 41, entering the, 40, uh, the 74th day of hunger strike, he passed away. Yeah. What was it like when the news got out? Because inevitably people knew that that moment was coming. Yes, they did. I mean, and he, he, the, the fact that he, he survived the hunger strike relatively well until about the last four or five days. And then he, he just experiences a collapse uh, and his, his death was expected, the announcement of his death was expected at any moment. When it arrives, I mean, every single newspaper and report instantly stop the presses. You have black borders on all the newspapers. And again, this isn't just in, in Ireland. Uh, so there is a huge response. And of course, this is exacerbated or, or copper passing by the fact that he has a huge funeral in London. In fact, the strange point about it was is that the British were allowed, permitted him to have a huge funeral in Southwark Cathedral in London. The body was then planned to be taken back to Dublin for another procession through Dublin, similar to the O'Donovan Rossa funeral in 1915 or the Thomas Ashe funeral in 1917. It was then supposed to come down to Cork where the burial would take place. The British, in effect, body snatched uh, his remains when the uh, train containing uh, the, the coffin got to Hollyhead. Uh, they, they physically beat uh, many members of the family out of the, the carriage. Put the, the coffin There was a fight the over the body. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, took to seize the body, put the, the body on a ship direct to Cork, saying we're not going to allow you to have this uh, huge funeral in Dublin, even though the day before they had been given assurances that they would be able to. 
The family then continue to Dublin and there is a parade through Dublin but without the body. The coffin is then taken to Cove. Nobody in Cove will, will touch the remains because of, of what the British have done. The British then bring the body up to uh, the Keys, get close to City Hall now. Uh, a little tug, wasn't it? A small little tender, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll basically dump the body on, on, on the Quayside saying we're not touching it and, he, uh, and because nobody locally would... would be found to touch it. Uh, after a while, the British said, if you do not take this body, we will bring it back up to the barracks uh, and inter it pretty much next to where the remains of uh, Thomas Kent uh, were buried, of course, for many years after 1916. Fortunately, uh, I suppose, the family arrived from Dublin in the nick of time and, and the, the, the body was, or the coffin was, taken. And, and do you think as a historian looking back at that event, because I wasn't aware that Cork people refused to yes, take yes. possession of the body. Do you think that was the right decision? I mean, bear in mind, I, don't, I'm only con- I can only imagine what the temperament was like at the time, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the, the, they took the view that the family objected to what the British had done and therefore they had no right, in effect, to, to contradict the family until the family arrived. The family went through with the, the procession through Dublin and then, then came down as, as, as being planned. So they simply deferred to the family's wishes. And then the family did arrive, and yeah. then they had to start planning, and I assume, assume they would have wanted a state funeral, and certainly the Cork version of a state funeral, but the British weren't having that either, were they? They were, not unlike now, limiting the numbers, I believe. Well, uh, what had happened with the funeral of Michael Fitzgerald uh, about a week before is the British had, the, the, the remains were held in Peters and Paul's and the, the a party of British military led by an officer with his revolver drawn march up to the, the head of the church and tell the priest that only a hundred people will be allowed to march behind the coffin and none of them are allowed to, in effect, adopt a military formation. And basically the same thing happens again with McSweeney. Uh, and the, the British weren't joking. I mean, they, they deploy large numbers of troops uh, with bayonets fixed and with, with live rounds and full battle dress uh, in and around the, the city. Uh, and the decision is taken to avoid a, a confrontation, um, albeit that after McSween, after both Fitzgerald is buried up in Kilcrumper, Joseph Murphy is buried in St. Finbars and Terence McSweeney is buried in St. Finbars, the volunteers, after everyone had left at night, went in and a firing party uh, fired a, a, a volley over all of their graves. But I did see the cortege, though, some video footage of it, where there's the McSweeney's coffin, uh, members of his family, some people, but also they're being um, shadowed by armoured cars and tanks. Yep. Yes, absolutely. All, all the way. <laughs> all, all the way. Uh, and, and, of course, on the procession out to St. Finbar's, where, of course, you have tens of thousands of people uh, lining the streets. Uh, they were shadowed all the way. You have pictures of troops basically dotted around the walls of St. Finbar's uh, and in the various different side streets in, in, in lorries and so on and so forth, uh, just to make sure that uh, any deviation from the orders given by the British were, were not going to be successful. So it was an immensely fraught uh, occasion. Uh, there, there had been a much bigger funeral with uh, Tomás McCurtain mm. uh, back in uh, the spring. But the British, I think, uh, had to a certain extent learned their lesson that they weren't going to be prepared to, to give a propaganda victory, another propaganda victory, as it were, to, to the Republicans. But it was a victory, was it not? I mean, mix, there were reprisals, and you can talk to me about that following the death, uh, the, the death of McSweeney. But his death dealt the fatal blow to British rule in Ireland, really, didn't it? 
Well, of all the events in Ireland, even more than, let's say, the execution of Kevin Barry, which, of course, happens almost exactly the same time uh, as the funeral, even more perhaps than the burning of Cork, or uh, because the funeral, because of who McSweeney was, how long the funeral, how long the hunger strike took place, the fact that it was taking place in London, it attracted a degree of international attention uh, that was in excess of anything else during the War of Independence. And, and uh, as a, the, the fact that this is a passive gesture, uh, a non-resisting gesture, generated a great deal of sympathy. And again, not just in, in America, but in many parts of the world, perhaps most famously in India, uh, where Mahatma Gandhi, I think, derived partly from his own native tradition in India, where there was a tradition of hunger striking. But he also saw from McSweeney's efforts sort of just how much public attention could be focused on a particular cause. So the, the legacy was both immediate and in lasting. And of course, those that were left behind to mourn were his extended family, but none more so than his wife, Muriel, who was very unwell. I think she was described as at the time as being mentally fragile. And his little daughter, Moira Og. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he's again. One can one can sympathise you know, with his wife's position. I mean, it was uh, she, she wasn't long married; they'd only been married a couple of years. She'd, she'd barely seen Terence for large parts of that because he was in jail or on the run. Or during 1920, after he took over the office, he he simply was so busy that she she didn't see him very often. Uh, albeit that they did have this young daughter, and then of course she has to go through the, the trauma of seeing him waste away and die. So she she did experience. Uh, a breakdown. I think initially a physical breakdown, just the, the stress. Uh, whether 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 it was clinically diagnosed as a mental breakdown, I, I'm not quite sure. Yes. But she, uh, but her daughter subsequently, uh, more of course, who would be I think well known to many people uh, in Cork, a, a lovely woman. I had the, the privilege of meeting her once. Uh, had her own fascinating life story. Also, uh, of course, she marries the son of uh, Cockle Brewer. Uh, so you have a, a union of the two of perhaps the most resonant Republican names in Ireland, and Cahill McSweeney Brewer, the, the Terence's grandson, uh, has been very heavily involved in, in the centenaries this week and this year. And the reprisals following his death, the reprisals it were from the... reprisals for McSweeney per se. Uh, the, the, certainly what the IRA do is up their game. I mean, uh, the, the, the anger that was felt within the Cork Number 1 Brigade, and of course, remember, he had been commandant. He was been in charge of the Cork Number 1 Brigade. Uh, there is very great anger, so the city erupts, uh, and, and the surrounding area, which encompassed the, the brigade area. Uh, in the winter of 1920 uh, and the spring of 1921, it was just a very, very dangerous place to be. And, of course, the British respond in kind with their own uh, reprisals. Not alone did they adopt a, a official, unofficial reprisals, which were themselves illegal. The government, because they couldn't control their troops, uh, adopt a policy of official reprisals, which was absolutely illegal, but it, it gave some sort of figment of respectability that nominally the, the, the officers in, in command of the troops uh, would give orders to the troops to destroy buildings or a creamery or the houses of known Republican uh, sympathizers. That policy... Shoot on sight for someone really, with their hands in their pockets, for God's sake. Yeah, the, the policy of official reprisal really discredited the British internationally because even the British accepted that it, uh, it was illegal, but in fact it was the only thing they could do to try and maintain some sort of element of control of the officers over their men. And here we are a hundred years later looking at the events of 1920. McCurtain, of course, earlier in the year in McSweeney, this time 100 years ago. What would you think they'd make of Ireland now or 
even Cork now, or even COVID now. I think my, my specialities were probably better on what happened 100 years ago. I, I'm always wary of trying to, to interpret, sort of divine what somebody might have thought about Ireland, uh, Ireland subsequently. Uh, whether it matched up to their ambitions, probably not, but I'm not sure uh, anything could have matched up, up to their, uh, their ambitions. Uh, I suppose all we can really do is, is look back at them, take some sort of inspiration from their courage and their nobility of, of purpose and their willingness to sacrifice themselves and I suppose to, to draw for our own time the best uh, from their time. And let us not forget Joe Murphy, nor Michael oh, Fitzgerald. <laughs> yes, I mean, Joe, I, I've been working closely with uh, one of his grandnieces, Shirley Kelleher, and, and there will be... Talk to her in a minute. Yeah, commemoration of, of his death, which of course w- w- was very important. I mean, this is this is the second death in Cork itself. Michael Fitzgerald of Fermoy, uh, his death having have, uh, occurred about approximately a week before. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and again, if you have a look at the, the Murphy funeral, uh, very very similar, not quite on the huge scale of the McSweeney funeral, but but uh, a huge turnout from the population of Cork, as there had been for Michael Fitzgerald, and sincere expressions of sympathy with the family. Let us all remember them this weekend. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Gabriel. Thanks for taking the time to chat. Appreciate no problem, it. Whatsoever. Have a good day and a good weekend. Uh, Gabriel Doyle, UCC Department of History, uh, remarking and remembering 100 years ago this weekend, the death uh, by hunger strike of Terence McSweeney, the second Lord Mayor of Cork to die in the same calendar year. Text 0868104106. We'll pick up on that after the break. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. They were absolutely incredible men and women. I mean, you could come in them on back in the day as well. But, um, I mean, there were other people, of course, who were on hunger strike. And one of them was a Cork man by the name of Joe Kenny. Uh, and he stayed on hunger strike for 94 days back then, 100 years ago. 94 days. And it had terrible implications for his long-term health. But we mentioned in my conversation with Gabriel, Mick Fitzgerald and Joe Murphy, who also died on hunger strike, both of them here in Cork. Now, Mick Fitzgerald was 34 when he died on hunger strike and Joe Murphy was 25 when he passed away and he lasted for 76 days uh, longer than McSweeney and passed away and somewhat, I think Gabriel's only uses the term they were somewhat eclipsed by the hunger strike and the death of Terence McSweeney. McSweeney was awarded the independence, uh, the Medal of Independence posthumously, um, uh, sorry, and uh, way back in the day at the time. But with regards to Fitzgerald and Murphy, that didn't happen. Now, you may know of uh, Joe Murphy Road in Paula Duff that was named after Joseph Murphy, who died on hunger strike um, the same weekend as McSweeney. And his grandniece is Shirley Kelleher, and she joins me by phone. Shirley, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you today? I'm, I'm, just, I'm well, thank you. And, and how are you feeling 100 years on from your granduncle's passing? I'm very proud. Um, unfortunately, Neil, we couldn't do the commemorations we had planned. And um, the talk of Balagrihan Centenary Committee had huge plans for this year, but unfortunately, due to COVID, we had to cut those celebrations. He was so young, 25. He must have been he so committed young. to Ireland. Exactly, and that's why I'm so proud of him. You know, he, he certainly was steadfast in his vision for Ireland. What do you know of him and his family at the time? We know very little. Certainly, Neil, it would be the stories my father would have told me um, about Joe Murphy. And certainly he was, I'm sure you're aware, he was born in Lynn, Massachusetts, and the family returned here to Ireland. And they took up um, home in Joe Murphy House, as it's known now in Polyduff Road. 
Um, he joined volunteers in 1917 and he was a very active volunteer and it's through uh, working with Gabriel Doherty in UCC and others that we have found things that he done that we didn't realise it's just the research we've done since mm-hmm. Did any of that research shed any light on how his mum and dad felt about it? Did your dad tell you about that? About you know him being on hunger strike and week huge, after yeah. yeah, huge story. No, certainly like the McSweeney family, the Murphy family would have supported him um, but huge sorrow at his loss I mean it was their eldest son and what a lot of people don't know Neil is that they also had another son called Richard who was twin with my grandmother Mary and he had got his American citizenship and was in the Merchant Navy and he went um, off to the Merchant Navy and when Joe had passed he returned to Ireland at his family's request and entered through Belfast Port where he was immediately arrested by the British forces and the American consulate was called in and the deal they made was that he would leave Ireland and he did and he set up home in New York but he never saw his parents again so in actual fact the Murphy family lost two sons. Then he, so, his, so Joe's brother never got to the funeral or got to pay his respects even? No. They, no. Banned, they barred him from Ireland? They did. He was banished from his own home. So it's very sad stories at the time, really. And, I mean, a very strong family to go through what they went through. And um, I don't mean to dwell on it, but the eclipsing of those deaths by McSweeney's passing, how how did the family deal with that at the time? Did they feel like for nearly 75 years or longer, um, you know, they didn't get the recognition that they deserved, I think? No, no, he, he definitely didn't. Uh, certainly Joe's death was very much overshadowed by the Lord Mayor's death, Terence McSweeney. But we certainly kept him alive in the local community, Neil, in Choker and Balfihan. And we would uh, constantly keep his memory alive. But it's when I was informed by Billy O'Brien of the Toka Historical Society that he never received the Medal of Independence, that we started the campaign for that then. And you put and that re- right, you put that wrong right, didn't you? You made it I right. I sure did, and we received that last February um, in 2019, last year, and certainly the support of Don Leary would have been... What, is it, um, what does it say? Does it say Joe Murphy, who gave his life for Ireland? Does it say anything like that? Well, the medal itself, you mean, it's, it's literally a medal of independence on the back of it is Joe Murphy's name. I mean, that takes pride of place in the family, I'm sure. It sure does. And at the moment, it's down in the museum. Um, we have given it to um, Daniel Breen for, and it's in the exhibition. And much of that, much of that period is, is open and on display in the museum, although I don't think it's open at the moment, is it? I don't think it is at the moment, Neil, but I would urge people when it does reopen to go down and have a look because it's a fantastic ex- exhibition. So young. But, I mean, like the price yes. they paid was their life. But we're here today as an independent republic, albeit with another bit that many people wanted added on, the six counties, because sure. of men because of men like your granduncle. And that's it, and that's what I keep saying to people. The sacrifice that they made for the freedom we enjoy today, um, Neil, is huge, you know. And that's why they must always be remembered and honoured. It's lovely talking to you. Will you honour or remember this weekend in any way? So we will. So um, I was actually making a documentary. I've made a documentary, Neil, called Joe Murphy, the boy from Polly Duff. Um, and also Morris Deneen has written a play called My Unsung Hero. 
And so Cork City Council are kindly um, leaving us um, present that on Sunday evening at 8 o'clock through the Cork City Council website. So at 8 o'clock on Sunday night, everybody can sit in the safety of their own home and enjoy the story of Joe Murphy. I can't wait. 8 o'clock Sunday evening, the 100th anniversary of his passing and the documentary that you have made will be streamed on Cork City Council's website, which is probably... CorkCityCouncil.ie, I'd imagine. You can get exactly. it on a Google search. And a huge thank you to them. And can I just... The boy from Paula Duff. The boy, Joe Murphy, the boy from Paula Duff. And a huge thank you to Emma Horrigan, who's a media graduate. And she has been on board with me from day one. And I couldn't have done it without her. Okay. Will you go... He's buried at the Republican plot, is he? He's not in buried in the Republican plot. And we go quite often... Um, Neil um, and lay flowers and and visit him and his mother is also buried in St. Finbar's not far from his own grave in the Republican plot. Well it's lovely to catch up with you Shirley Kelleher. Thank you so much for marking you the too. passing you of your grand so Take care of yourself. Thank you. Bye-bye. Lines open at 1850 104 106. I wanted to spend some time marking the 100th anniversary for sure of Cork Lord's Mayor, or Lord Mayor Terence McSweeney but not forgetting the importance um, that uh, both uh, Murphy and Fitzgerald played 100 years ago when they, as Corkmen, also uh, gave their lives for Ireland. Um, and back to the phone lines we go now, just staying on this, because um, Mike Noonan has uh, a little bit of information that I want him to, to share with me regarding uh, McSweeney and, and, and connections in that regard. Mike, good morning. Good morning. So what, what do you have for me? Kit McSweeney, the aunt of Terrence McSweeney, was your godmother, is that right? Yeah, Lord rest her, yeah. Okay, okay. And you grew up um, in your grandparents' house in the 70s. So talk to me about the family and talk to me about what you were told about McSweeney. Um, I, I, I never knew much about Terence really until later in my life. Uh, as in, you know, as in, you know, in the, the late 90s and what have you. But uh, it was the pride and place of Terence McSweeney and McCartan. Oh my goodness, it was unreal. But it, it, it was the, the actual tea, um I did a um, research, not research, but I did a, a project in school in uh, Southern's Key um, on uh, a little subject and on, on Terence McSweeney. And then I realized how big and how influential he was on the world scale. Oh, absolutely. Mandela referred to him on many occasions. So did Gandhi and many other people around the world who used Gandhi peaceful protest as real. Yeah. I, I've got bo- I've got books here about him and everything. It's unreal. But do you think for many years, like certainly the case with 1916, like for decades and decades, it, it kind of wasn't talked about. It's almost as if we were embarrassed or ashamed that it was somewhat brushed under the carpet. Absolutely. Yeah, I've. Um a second cousin, a uh, second cousin, uh, J- uh, James McSweeney, uh, a priest who died in 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 um, um, Middle America. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, in, in Southern America, as in you know, um, uh, anyway, he he was a, a priest and he was killed in Colombia, and uh, nobody knew the difference, and you know driven off the fucking face of the earth. Yeah. Nobody realised, you know, how, how, how the influence of the Irish people. Yeah, Four corners crazy. of the world. Four corners of the world. Yeah, it was unreal, you know. Yeah. And here we uh, and here we are out there. But anyway, listen, 
Um, you know, Terence McSweeney, he was an absolute legend. And you Tomas McCartney as well, you know. Um, we don't have these uh, figures in society. Well, it's kind of interesting, a hundred years later, and we have politicians looking for likes on Instagram. You know what I mean? Uh, Their social media uh, profiles are all important. It was different back oh, then. Yeah. Different back then. I know, sure. Uh, come here. <laughs> Look after yourself, Mike. Thanks for taking the call, Mike Noonan. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868104106. A hundred years ago this weekend. Uh, try and watch that streaming uh, documentary Sunday night on the Cork City Council's website. That's going to be an eye-opener. And I suppose there will be references to McSweeney in that, but also uh, Mick Fitzgerald, but primarily the boy from Ballin, from uh, from Powdered Off, Joe Murphy. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. I was thinking last night, I don't know what everybody else thought about this, and to my knowledge it hasn't been done, but wouldn't it make a fantastic movie, an actual film, not a documentary, but a film? Let's say that somebody decided they would make a film that would start maybe a few weeks before the shooting of McCurtain in his bed in Blackpool, and that the film then, with actors and actresses, um, at a better time than this, I suppose, um, that they would make that film then, that would run right across that year, just before the shooting of of McCurtain, and finish with the burning of Cork. I mean, don't you think that would be an incredible, be a massive, epic blockbuster movie in there, I would have thought. You know, it just seems to uh, go unnoticed, but maybe that might change going forward with some director... Somebody decided maybe to do something like that. Anyway, just a thought. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Um Yesterday, Fiona Donovan from the Red FM newsroom travelled down because of, you know, different changes now regarding retail and level five and all that kind of thing. And she was in and about the beautiful, beautiful English market, which is open for business. And amongst them is Tom Durkin Meats. And we have the wonderful Meats uh, vouchers to give away uh, right across next week, courtesy of ourselves and Tom Durkin Meats. And you can order them. You can call them on the phone or you can order one of the... Uh, Meat hampers, different sizes, different prices, whatever you like from tomdarkandmeats.ie. So I'll be telling you more about that across next week. But she was just checking in with some of the business owners in the English market yesterday. It's a big step back today from our uh, regular Thursday trade, um, but still recognizing a couple of regular faces coming through. Here's that the second lockdown, I suppose, basically would be from a, a business perspective. It's to, to keep everybody going, trying to keep staff on board. Um, which is going to be extremely difficult. December is Christmas, it's turkeys, it's um, it's everything to us. Uh, December is... Um, and we would be confident enough that people will still have their turkey at Christmas and um, it might be a smaller turkey than what it normally is, but um, we will still be confident that uh, we'll be there for Christmas. The atmosphere, I suppose, people are kind of adjusting at the moment. Um, conversations with customers at the counter are good. Um, people are uh, delighted to see us open still. Um, a lot of people uh, walking into walking in, using it as part of their uh, exercise. Um, that they can uh, take next days within five kilometres of the English market, um, and they're quite happy to come in and shop. It's 
since the last lockdown we developed a, a delivery service through the poultry motion um, so what we're, we're we've developed that now in the last couple of months and we're actually going live on our own e-commerce website next week um, so that will have um, a modest offering to begin with um, but like everything look we'll, we'll grow as we go I think people just need a little treat do you know they just need something to sweeten up their day customer said today he said bread is my only uh, my only joy in the day now am I looking forward to my sandwich I think it's just so much to take in and we just need little things to cheer us off isn't it and just uh, something to keep our mind off everything else for a while so yesterday we were absolutely tearing it was crazy and um, today is quieter but there's still people coming in they're still coming in we have our regulars so it's very hard to tell how it will be now over the weekend uh, we're expecting it possibly be a bit quieter normally a bank holiday would be you know busy enough but um expecting it to be a bit quieter but still that people want their bit of comfort you know and good food so i suppose the atmosphere is one of frustration um and things are a little bit slower than than I think the last time. Um, but I think people, yeah, I, I get the hint that there's a bit of frustration out there. In fact, I get the hint there's a lot of frustration out there. Yeah, I mean, look, we're tipping over, but I think people are still in shock that we're going to stage five, really. Um, I don't think people were expecting it this soon. Um, and I think among, you know, myself and other retailers, I think there's a little bit of panic that we're getting really, really close to Christmas. Um, and there are so many businesses now in the city that need a really good Christmas to basically survive. Would you hope it come out of this a little bit earlier? I would, I would, I would really, and I, I you know, I, I think for people's mental health and and, and for their their humour, um, I think, yeah, I think the sooner we get out of this, the better. I think, yeah, I think people are getting really weary of it, and I mean, I can understand the government; they need to get the finger the figures down. We don't have the hospital beds, um, but like, it's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place at the moment. It's a month that, that that's a build up to Christmas. It's a month when you get a lot of people coming from Limerick and from Tipperary and from other cities to Cork um, it is the capital of the south so it does tend to draw people in and um, that's not going to happen this year um, and you know like the business like has been ticking along and surviving but literally that is what it's been doing is it been in survival mode um, and we really do need a good Christmas to to get us over the, the following three months and what's ahead of us um, that would be really nice to have a little light at the end of the tunnel that we could aim for and that we could say you know at least we're going in the right direction um, but look it, it's difficult times we know that um, it's a difficult time to be in government it's, it's, it's a difficult time to be just trying to, to get through life at the moment um, and people are struggling some people are struggling badly um, so you know we really are all in this together whether we like it or not and you know if everybody does what they're supposed to do wash your hands keep your distance do the simple things and just be really careful we will get out of this quickly and in Indeed, the English market is open for business. Thank you to Fiona Donovan from the Red FM newsroom who was in there yesterday afternoon speaking to uh, the likes of Pat O'Connell there for the fishmonger, Yvonne McMahon from the Alternative Bread Company and the great Tim Mulcahy from the Chicken Inn. Keep those texts coming on McSweeney and the 100th uh, commemoration of the hunger strikers. A lovely text here. Correct. You are right. There was 12 in total. So McSweeney died and that left 11. And then Murphy and Fitzgerald, two other Corkonians who died in Cork prison uh, on hunger strike. And the other nine then were ordered off hunger strike three weeks later, 
having lasted 94 days. And amongst them was the gentleman that I mentioned, Joe Kenny, another Corkonian, uh, but it had terrible consequences for his uh, his life and his health thereafter. Of course, we had the uh, hunger strikers then in the 80s, amongst them Bobby, Stan- Bobby Sands, who also died on hunger strike and it was a tool that was used all over the world a form a passive form of protest if you like where the only person that is being hurt is you personally but the ultimate price you pay hurts an entire country as in the country being your oppressor so we're back after 11 on 1850 104 106 there may not be a jazz weekend or a long weekend well there is a long weekend at a bank holiday but not a jazz weekend but never fear we have jazz in studio after 11 Award-winning music station of the year, Corks Red FM. Lights open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Free food Friday again today with Oak Fire Pizza. Different now because we're going to have ten winners, ten large pizza vouchers to give away for Free Food Friday. Because many people are at home, some are at work, so we're mixing it up as best we can. So text who you are and where you are to zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Can I say good morning to everybody in the O'Neill household? Husband's still at work, three teens at school, and I'm at home. Says Trish, would love a pizza as a treat for the weekend. To all of the staff and maybe some of the pupils of St. Joe's school in the Mardike, working hard over the last few weeks, dealing with the new rules and the odd bit of flooding. So good morning to all of you. My mother, I'm a mother of six. I would love a night off cooking. I'm in second year college, very busy. My husband's working hard. I'd like to treat him with one of your pizzas. Morning to you, Katrina. To Lorraine and everybody in Whitechurch, our business is closed. We'll be at home for six week, weeks. Give me pizza. To everybody at Magic Vacations in Kinsale, good morning to you. And also the party store in Ballycoreen Industrial Estate. And, uh, um, St. Christopher's Ward in Marymount are listening this morning, busy, doing an amazing job looking after everybody, as are everybody at Gertrow Nursing Home near Killa. A pizza voucher, please, for everybody at Maglin Kitchens, busy at the moment, coming up to Christmas. For everybody working at Wilton Wonders, way too many of you to, to name, but good morning to you all. To everybody in Bulmers, Ireland, in Little Isle, Ireland, keeping the, Little Island, I should say, keeping the show on the road. That's cider, I suppose. There'll always be a need for it. Uh, and Everybody working at IDL um, and also at Amazon who are working through the pandemic and working through level five. Uh, we'll do some more shout outs between now and midday and then we'll pick 10 winners off air uh, and we'll get local, uh, the local pizza closest to you, which could well be in Bandon. It might well be here in the city or it could be in, sorry, in Clonakilty, Bandon or the city, whichever is closest for you to pick up your piping hot pizzas. Now, um, could you please also say good morning to my dad, Jeffrey O'Connell, uh, on his fifth anniversary. My dad often connected on your show, so I wish you would maybe commemorate his passing. It would be still nice to hear him being mentioned on the air today, his fifth anniversary. So I am honoring that and wishing you and the family well, uh, marking Jeffrey's passing. Good morning. I was wondering, could you wish my amazing mother-in-law, Liz Walsh, a happy 60th birthday today with love from Liz and everybody listening in y'all. Now, a lot of interesting texts regarding um, Terence McSweeney. Richie says, when we consider how successive governments have betrayed the Republic for which McSweeney and Joe Murphy sacrificed their lives, one is forced to ask, did they give their lives in vain? I wouldn't have thought so, Richie. A lot was achieved. Maybe not as much as many would have wished, but a lot was. Um, but, you know, people are welcome to text if they agree or disagree. On the subject of the martyrs in Irish history, Tom Barry and Kevin Barry were heroes of mine. But for the life of me, Kevin Barry is never mentioned in Cork. Not even a wee summer seat called after him. 
the youngest person executed by the British at 17 years of age. Uh, and his lovely song, Shall My Soul Plas Pass Through All Ireland, uh, why do Cork people not honour Kevin Barry and us Irish don't celebrate our Independence Day, says Desi. Thank you. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868 And tell you what we are celebrating today after the break. It's the bank holiday weekend. There is no jazz, or is there? Well, there's no jazz festival, but we have live jazz in studio. Not a full band because of social distancing and everything, but we certainly do have uh, one of the finest jazz musicians and singers that I know of, uh, George from the Roaring Forties. George Patterson is in studio, physically and socially distanced from me and everybody else in his own little cocooning bubble. And we're going to have a few jazz standards, a few jazz classics. The first after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. So, so sweet, you see. I'm a real old Gallup, New Mexico, Flagstaff, Arizona. Don't forget Winona, Kingston, Boston, San Bernardino. If you ever get hit to this time, let's hear. When you make that California trip. Take it away, piano man. That's actually a guitar.
I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I don't know what to do. You haven't lost your timing, even though you're not gigging, though. Uh, uh, no, it doesn't seem so, does it? <laughs> I've no idea where I was in that song. But it's thing. a strange world, all on your own here, no band to back you, and no jazz weekend. I know, it's amazing. Amazing. It is. It's a. It's. it's um, it was devastating. Actually, I had even forgotten that it was a bank holiday Monday. Well, I must admit, I thought I thought it was going to be the end of the month, but of course, it's here not. it is. It's, it's, it's upon it's the week us. Before and here it is. I know. I know. And that probably the only place you'll hear a bit of jazz in Cork this weekend is right here, right now. Exactly. And loads of people had planned to actually do something, sort of little pop up things and uh, things just to to mark the day. As Alternative it were. versions of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we had. Um, yeah, you had like you want to do a shout out to all of the places where you should have been this oh, weekend. Yeah? yeah. Amongst them, actually, if you don't mind, amongst them would have been your annual visit. As you're pulling that up there, your annual visit to Regina Mundi. That's we've been doing that since two thousand two. It's amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. The girls are amazing. They know all the words to the songs, and they come to our gigs now. The ones that are like maybe twenty years old now, they come and see us play, and they sing along, and they know all the words, yeah. and they bring other people. So it's it, it, they're you know, spoiled there to uh, get a visit from the band every you know bank oh, holiday Friday morning. But this is like a, a little snippet of is this last year's visit? This to is Regina last Monday? year. Yeah, this is the last song we sang to them. It's not jazz, but we we did it for them. And um, there's a there's a video clip to this, which obviously people can't see. No. But this is a video clip of all of them. In the gym? Oh, no, they're in the they're in their main hall. In right? the main hall, yeah. okay. The, um, gl- classes go off from that, and the front door goes off to that. As all well. singing together, uh, all of them. Teachers. <laughs> this is uh, this week. Oh, well, of Do you remember all, remember those days? Live gigs, crowds, atmosphere, cheering? Vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> but on a serious note, so many people like you, artists, not working. It's very For sad. how I long mean, now? Um, well, I haven't been doing it. Our first one would have been April. We would have had the Derry Jazz Festival. Um, prior to that, um, it's normally sort of a quiet time and you'll just get little bits and pieces. Uh, but then it sort of kicks off. It's like a bit, bit, bit like the pub trade. When you get to St. Patrick's Day, then that pays for what you've spent out beforehand yeah. and then goes on from there and then we come into a, a festival. And the jazz then would have been a springboard onto the, Christmas well, that would and be, so on. that's, Yeah, that's right. That, uh, the jazz festival here would like sort of help subsidise what we've spent prior to this. Um, of course, it's, you know, if it wasn't for girlfriends... We're all, we'd all be out on the streets. Girlfriends and COVID payments. Hey, girlfriends and COVID payments. So we're, um, and then of course it goes on from there to Christmas, yeah. And this is, uh, and of course the, the jazz festival in um, Cork is like extra special. Yeah. Yeah, because, um, yeah. I mean, it, 
we have got so much work from the jazz festival in Cork, in other countries, in Scandinavia, in Italy. Because um, it's internationally accredited, of course. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's also well, if you're good enough to play that, then you're going to be good enough it, to play yeah. ours. People come from people come from other countries to come here to find acts. So the list use. of the list of pubs then that you would have been playing. Uh, we so you wanted to just uh, say okay, well, yeah. wish them well, even yeah. though even though none of them are open. Well, of course, to... we've played in all of the pubs in Cork, so we want to wish them all. <laughs> We want to wish them all the greatest and best of luck uh, during this time. And we want to see them back. And as soon as they come back, then we'll be there to support them. Um, but um, for this particular year, we'd been booked last year. When we finished last year's gigs, they booked us immediately. They booked us the next day. And that would be the Woodford. Um, that would be BDSM, uh, which is uh, both particularly good gigs. The Tomond Bar, which is a fabulous gig. Um, of course, we'd be playing at Barrys in Douglas, and we'd be at the Metropole, and we would be at the uh, Imperial. Imperial Hotel. Now, um, we want to send them our love, and, of course, everybody else, and especially um, the girls at, um, the or girls and faculty at Regina Monday. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. all right. Okay, it's a different year this year. Hang in there. I want to squeeze another couple of tunes off you. You're okay. in great form, and the voice is sounding good, thank God, and we'll come back in a few minutes' time again. Thank God for your- miming. <laughs> No, lads, he's not miming. <laughs> this is all live. This is 100% live. Back after the... The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And so, 10 winners of FIFA Friday. It's different. Fee, 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 even. Uh, we got 10 different vouchers to give away for large pizzas each. So, some more shout-outs courtesy of yourselves and Oak Fire Pizza. Morning, love a voucher. Postman working in Sunday as well. And, of course, a chair with the gang in Churchfield Post Warehouse. I doubt that. It's the one pizza just for you if you win it. Everybody working hard at... Uh, oh, I did that one already. Argos and Maham Point still working away in reservation for reservations only, says Marie. Everyone working at Abbeville Veterinary in Toker. They're doing amazing work, helping a lot of uh, Munster lost and founds. All the animals who are strays have been lost or suffered from cruelty. Ah, uh, there's got to be a pizza in that, in all fairness. The 13 crew working in HSS uh, t- uh, higher in Tivoli and everybody as well who was working at uh, DPD down in Little Island including Jamie Daly and Jason they're keeping the parcels rolling and trying to get Christmas prezzies out it's going to be a busy few weeks lads and we'd love a pizza um, and the secretary is Conor O'Shea's cardiology suite at the Lee Clinic working away through lockdown and have been working away since March could do with a hot pizza as well so we'll keep those shout outs coming um, and give you one last opportunity to text who you are and where you are to 0868 104 alright and we'll pick it up after uh, 10 or 15 minutes time and we'll get it on air for you meanwhile in studio uh, live because it's uh, the long weekend but not the jazz weekend we have George from the Roaring Forties George Patterson who dropped everything and came to join us socially distanced from everybody here to keep them, the people safe and right uh, we're going to do another couple between now and midday I love The Lady is a Tramp um, it sounds great when it's with the big band I'm wondering what kind of a job you can make of it on your own uh, do you want to give it a blast and see how it sounds have you got the words there <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was too good to be true. <laughs> that sooner or later the, t- the train would come off the track. <laughs> yeah, this one seems to be. They're too. supposed to be in your head. They are in my head, but then if I have the okay. words in front of me, then, I'll, then I go on to. Oh, that ready? one! <laughs> <laughs> well, we can- tell me when you're ready then. Okay, then. Um, hang on, I'm going to. Oh, that one. 
<laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> you give me a heart attack. <laughs> She gets too hungry for dinner at eight. She loves the theater and never comes late. She does not bother with those people she'd hate. And that's why the lady is a tramp. won't play dice games with barons and earls won't go down to Harlem dressed in ermine and pearls she won't dish the dirt with the the rest of the girls and that's why the lady is a tramp she loves the cool Free in her hair Hey, life without care She's broke, but it's old Hates California It's cold and it's damp That's why the lady is a tramp, yeah She gets too far too hungry Ooh, for dinner at eight. She adores the theater, but she won't ever get late. She never bothers with those people she'd hate. That is why the lady is a tramp. She'll have no dice games with those sharpies and frauds. They won't go to Harlem and drives in Lincolns and Fords. She won't dish the dirt with the rest of the broads. That's why the lady is a tramp. She loves the cool, clean, fine, fresh oh, wind in her hair. Well, she loves life without care. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's broke, but it's oak. Hayes, California, it's cold and it's damp. Notice how I helped you along there. Oh, that was amazing. And then I stopped because I thought it wasn't working. <laughs> I've heard something. I thought it was an echo in the background. <laughs> no, it was fabulous. You thought a crow flew into the room, did you? I, I want you to do that in future. I've always meant to get you onto one of our songs. <laughs> oh, my God. The one and only George Patterson and the lady is a tramp. And we'll squeeze at least another one out of you this side of uh, midday. So take a break, as the fellow says. Sheena Crowley, come in. Your number's up. Are you renting instruments during lockdown? I am. Yes. Hi, Neil. How's it going? So this could be a great lockdown challenge for somebody to rent an instrument for you from you for the next six weeks and to become yep. proficient at something. Like, like what are you renting? 
Well, um, I set up a uh, website called The Island of Music um, and I got my stock was mostly secondhand instruments. So I have everything from violins, banjos, flutes, uh, concertinas, anything really. Um, not so much an electric, but mostly acoustic instruments. So they can rent it off me forever. It doesn't have to be just for six weeks, but um, the lockdown is ideal, obviously, because that'll give them the opportunity and I can set them up with teachers and so on. And Sheena, would this have been stock from formerly Crowley's Music Shop on McCurtain Street then? No, no. Um, uh, during the lockdown period, the first lockdown, myself, um, I was out of work, right? And I was really kind of conscious, conscious about musicians and uh, what they're going through in the situation is a crisis, really. And so I decided I was going to set up a website in, in the hope of supporting them and building building networks, etc. So I had no money, really. So I had to go out and start collecting any second-hand instrument I could whenever I did get a chance. And my brother helped me and so on. So we built up a bank of instruments and we are keep we keep building them. But um, many people have helped me. Like I've got a lot of uh, friends who've donated instruments and um, given me their time and so on. What instruments so, have you got then and how do people go about it? Like what's the cost and things like that? Um, well, it's 25 euros a month. Um, it can be any guitar, any acoustic guitar I have, any violin, cellos, whatever. Um, you can contact me through Facebook. So on my own page, Gina Crowley, or on the Island of Music page, and then the website as well. Yeah, um, and I see you got, you've got um, a bass guitar there. That's got to be reasonably yeah. easy to play. Like, it's just kind of boom, 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 boom. So I got four, I got four well, strings in it. Well, easy to play. It's more really easy to play bass guitar. <laughs> <laughs> says a guy, says a guy here who's proficient at the tambourine, like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can connect people with teachers as well, you see, so to try and keep generating work for musicians, that's the important thing. That's what it's all about, really. And in a sense, when you're renting an instrument, you're contributing towards the livelihood of musicians, you know, so um, it's going, I want to kind of create patrons of people, of the general public for the musicians have, as well. Have, you know? have musicians donated instruments to you? Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, there's a man now, for instance, Pete Brennan gave me the acoustic bass. And oh, jeez, I just insulted a bass player who gave you a bass guitar. She can have my clarinet. <laughs> Is that Sheila? Yeah. Sheena, she can yeah. have my clarinet. George. You'll have to get up to the mic there. You can have my clarinet. You're not oh, using yeah. He's not using it. Yeah. It doesn't work properly, I know. We yeah. can fix it. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I think Gina, it, works it only doesn't work properly when he's playing it. It's him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> him. Poor George, sorry. <laughs> All right, so if people want to engage with you, rent, even for longer yeah. than lockdown, how do they go about it? Um, well, my uh, Facebook page, Sheena Crowley, the Island of Music page on Facebook as well. The website is theislandofmusic.ie. Uh, I think it's a great initiative. So, I really do. Yeah. And can you hook them up then with um, with the, with the tutor? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Great idea. And so, you know, I mean, I'd like to challenge people anyway to do this because down through the years, I'm always meeting people who say, "I always wanted to take up this. I always wanted to take up that, but now do it." Like you know, because what's it's so an, good for what, you. What's an easy instrument then, Sheena? Do you think? 
I think it's about what makes you passionate, you see. So if you have a longing for something, like, I mean, if kids come in to me and say they really want to take up the violin and the mother might say, I don't know where she got that idea from, but they have it, they have a light in their eyes and they've got a desire for it. That's what I think you should be well, pursuing, you know. That makes a lot more sense to me than forcing a child into something they don't want to do rather than exactly, encouraging yeah. them for something they do want to do. I'd say the yeah, kazoo is the easiest. The what? The yeah. kazoo is the easiest <laughs> what uh, is that? instrument to learn. That's the one that you put in your mouth. You go, you can play orchestral stuff with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> of course, your voice is your instrument. <laughs> my voice. My voice is my hindrance. <laughs> you should see my Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I think it's a great initiative. You can follow Sheena Crowley on Facebook or log on to islandofmusic.ie, is it? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Uh, super and idea. Also on the website, like you can buy uh, musicians' music as well. So, like, I mean, people need to support their local musicians. So they can buy albums. They can download singles. Rowan has a new single out today. Billy Kennedy has a new single out. Mm. So on and so forth. I could talk about it forever, but I gotta check it's that important, out. you know. So yeah, so we'll be building it constantly, and uh, in another few weeks, we'll be launching the uh, teachers' page pages. So you'll be able to connect with all the teachers around the country, and then in another month or so we'll be having an official launch and after Christmas then there's another launch it'll keep going like so it's a super idea it islandofmusic.ie seems to be yeah. the go-to place I mean that I, she can have the, the clarinet the one that's it's a good oh, clarinet thanks George yeah, I really appreciate yeah. that I'll get, that I'll get you that to you later on today what a kind yeah gesture. we'll have a chat yeah thanks a million George mind You're yourself Sheena lovely thanks. to catch up okay guys take, take care, care take care for now yeah, okay bye. cheers uh, for the week, or indeed for the six weeks that in it, that's in it, we've been asking people about their COVID lockdown challenges. It's all started with a, an email that I got yesterday. I'm getting some great texts on these from various people. Hope to have an opportunity to read some of them out. Uh, people who are deciding to do something with, with their lives or in their lives or in the home or sorting out things that they've been procrastinating about in the next six weeks or so. Uh, but just ahead of that, I just want to go back to my phone lines and I want to talk to Tess. Tess, good morning. Good morning, Niall. They're How telling me you? they're telling me that you're very angry or upset at I, least I, or fuming. I'm enraged. I'm enraged that you should make such a big brow of yourself on the radio. <laughs> you, I've been listening intensely all about Terence McSweeney, the most charismatic, the most inspirational Corkman that ever came out of Cork City, and then you've. Just off the cuff, you got some idiot, obviously from this generation, doesn't know his, 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 oh, excuse me, this generation couldn't hold a candle to him. He said, we don't uh, say much about Kevin Barry and the song, Will, uh, Will, will My Soul Pass Out, yeah, yeah. Shall my soul. About Kevin Barry. It's about Terence McSweeney, not Kevin Barry. Terence McSweeney, I play the song. I'm happy. I'm happy to correct <laughs> it on a different. He gives a fantastic rendition. The man died in Brixton. That's right. Uh, have you heard the song? Have you listened to the song? My gra- my my mother-in-law used to sing it. Yeah. Forget your mother-in-law. Forget mothers-in-law. Talk about yourself. Your mother-in-law. If read, you listen to it, I, I you do, would know. I do know it. I read out a te- I read out a text from a guy who was referencing Kevin Barry in Brixton Prison, and in the song he asked, "Will you tell my little daughter?" And it's all about Cork City. Uh, Kevin Barry, my father sang. Kevin Where's Barry. the text? Uh, can we find that text? Because I, I just want to reference yeah. back to it. Like an idiot. an idiot, obviously from this generation. You get in history, you get your facts right. 
He spoke about Kevin Barry. I was at Kevin Barry's grave. He just remarked. He just remarked that we don't. You see, I was a little confused because I hope he's, he might have been laboring under the misapprehension that he thought that Kevin Barry was from Cork. What? That the song was then you remarked by reading his text. That I read the text. He's not a, no, he's not an idiot. He just got it wrong. You get your facts right. You get your facts right. Charles <laughs> okay. McQueen, he died in Brixton Prison in another country. But at least That's we're... But, uh, but give... Okay, all right, okay, okay. Give some credit to the... That's right. He was a Dubliner. Kevin Barry was a Dubliner. He wasn't a Dubliner. Get your facts right again. He was originally a Carlo. He was, he was studying medicine. You see, you don't know your facts, Johnny He was born in Dublin. And he was Carlo. Carlo, my dear man. He was shot in Dublin. Shot in Dublin. It he says, was a medical student. It says he was yeah. born in yeah. Fleet Street. And don't be going back to the, the don't be going back to the mother in law. He cost me You asked me You asked me, did I know this? Wait a minute, you're not of the same caliber as Terrence McTweeny, I uh, tell you that. You're not from Cork then, no? Oh, I'm from the west of Ireland, from very, my father's a west of Ireland man. And he, he went you, to college in UCC. He well, went to UCC. Okay. And he sang every time Kevin Barry, and he wasn't 17, he was a lad of 18 summers. Your old caller got that wrong as well. But he might have been 18 next birthday, perhaps. Excuse me, the song says a lad of 18 summers. You but, but you know something, I, oh, not, that I, not that I can get a word, not that I can get a word in ways. Hang on, Tess. Let me... Here, here, the ones that you go... Hello? Hello? She's gone. I didn't even get a word in Edgeways. I had wanted to say, at least on this Friday morning, we're talking about Kevin Barry. At least we're talking about Terence McSweeney. At least we're talking about uh, McCurtain, Fitzgerald, Murphy. But we don't. See, I don't seem to get any credit for that. Anyway, I can't find the text from earlier on where somebody had a text that confused Kevin Barry uh, with um, Terence McSweeney and the song. I haven't been called a brawl in a long time. That's a that's a I've good word. I think. Heard of that word. No, that's a cork word, yes. brawl. You're an awful brawl. It's like you're an awful eejit or in cork an awful langer. I've been called langer many oh, times. Yes, I've so I just true. add brawl to the list, don't you I think? think? That was the first word I ever heard. <laughs> what? Langer. <laughs> Someone shouted after me. No, it wasn't. They said, do you know Neil Prendeville? <laughs> Langer. The Neil Prendeville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Okay. Um, in t- thank you, Desi. Thank you, Desi, for throwing me uh, the whole body and soul of me into hot water. Uh, he said, on the subject of our marches in Irish history, Tom Barry and Kevin Barry were heroes of mine. But for the life of me, Kevin Barry is never mentioned in Cork. Not even a wee summer seat called after him. The youngest person executed by the British at 17 years. And his lovely song, Shall My Soul Pass Through All Ireland, Please Play. Why do Cork people not honour Kevin Barry and us Irish don't celebrate our Independence Day, says Desi. And of course, I read that out. Um, and uh, I didn't stop after reading it. I just went on to the next text. And of course, we all do realise now because Tess has reminded us that Shall My, Shall My Soul Pass Through All Ireland was actually about Terence McSweeney. And some are suggesting the reason that we wouldn't honour Kevin Barry, although his death was absolutely tragic and barbaric that such a young person would be killed at such a young age. Perhaps he's not honoured in Cork in particular because he wasn't from Cork. Um, mind you, uh, let's see if Jerry O'Sullivan can, can shine any light on it, particularly with regards to um, maybe events that are happening on Lee side of the weekend to mark the 100th anniversary of the death of Terence McSweeney. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Bloody I, hell, I, I, man. 
And thank you for giving such, uh, you, both yourself and Red FM, for giving such comprehensive coverage. Well, I didn't want either McSweeney's passing nor McCurtain's earlier in the year to go, um, you know, unno- to go unnoticed. And that's the only reason why. But you're, you're part of the Cork Independent National Commemorative, Commemorative Committee. What's planned? Well, we, just like Shirley Kelleher, as group, um, who, who I have absolute huge respect for, um, we had, we had our own commemorative concert planned for City Hall, which indeed we, we had sought permission for to have Tomas McCurtain's pipes played on the night, um, which would have been lovely and fitting, but uh, regrettably that had to be cancelled. Well, what are you talking, bagpipes or illum pipes? Oh no, the bagpipes. Okay. His, his, his original set, which now reside above in Cork Museum, but we had been given special permission to, to, to have them used on the night. Okay, so what are you going to do instead? Well, we, we can't do anything at the present moment, Neil, but we're, what, what, up to, up to the weekend before last, the, the, the committee itself, which comprises of the Cockfenian Society, and in particular, the Tomas, the newly formed Tomas McCurtain Pipe Band, which I'm very, very involved in myself, Neil. Um, we we try to pay reverence and due respect to 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 our own patriots going forward. You know. So you can't and even get together and play this weekend as such, then. Un, un, unfortunately, not Neil. But as I said, up to up to two weeks ago, we 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 were doing a commemoration every Sunday, or indeed we did two. Some Sundays or Saturdays, you know. Okay. And uh, we also, in addition to the to the, the uh, part of these, there are many strands. The National Independence Commemorative Committee. We have the Fenian Society, which is, has a huge following. That's administered by Tomas McCurtain, and anybody that may be interested in that can contact Tomas on oh eight five seven three one. Is that that's is that's not a direct descendant or anything to McCartan, is it that chap? No, no, no. This is Tomas McCormick. Yeah, McCormick. Sorry, I thought you yes, said McCartan. I, I, I may have done so. Forgive me. Okay. We okay. also we have also re-established a uh, a flying column, kitted out in exact detail. It's a it's a uh, everything is replicated in exact detail. The, the car. No, no, no. A, 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 a flying column. Yeah. A flying column. A commemorative flying column. Um, and and their 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 gear, all their gear is replicated. Like a like a like a battalion. Oh yes, indeed. Yes, done. indeed. Yeah, oh, indeed. And that has that has a substantial uh, following, you know. And is it and like? A, have you got the legit uniforms of the time and everything? Would they have the flying column uh, gear? Yeah. Well and done. Repli- rep- replicated rifles, Neil. And um, what we're trying to do is provide an overall package to pay, as I said, absolute homage and respect respectfully from us to to, 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 to those people that pay the absolute ultimate charge. Good man, good man. They did it so selflessly, you know. Okay, okay. Well, maybe sometime in the future when times are better, you might be able to get out and about and we can see exactly what you're all about. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And we'd be quite happy to do so. May I take this opportunity, a man that has given us huge help is Paddy O'Brien and I'd just like to acknowledge Paddy and hope wish him well in his recuperation Paddy's dad was very very involved with with, with, absolutely, with Harry, absolutely being from Ballinine yeah. and may I also wish Henry Delaney who is Shirley Keller's father well and uh, he would be Joe Murphy's last surviving nephew so there are people still around 
very closely connected to, to all that's going and on. And thanks for reminding us of that, that there are generations still with us, oh. descendants of those great men. Okay, Jerry, appreciate it. Thank you. In regards to you all at the Cork Independence uh, National Commemorative Committee and indeed the Fenian Society and the reenactment of the Flying Column. I'd love to be able to see that in probably safer times. But this normally would have been a bank holiday jazz weekend. Well, if the jazz weekend can happen, it's not going to stop us from playing some jazz numbers. You'd be happy to you'd be happy to know that people are saying very kind things about you this morning. Lots of lovely texts. Shall I, shall I read them out? Yeah, do. Please, please, please nice. pass on my regards to George, listening to George on the radio on a bank holiday jazz, jazz weekend. I brought back the first bit of normality this year. I'm absolutely loving it. Tell George that we feel for him at this time and, of course, all associated in the music industry. Oh, and please say hello to his dog, Trevor, who, who I used to meet every day in the city centre. He's in the car. <laughs> you left him out there? No, he's not. He's at home. He's listening at home. All right. Okay, so there's more of those. But anyway, thanks so much to George and the Royal Forties from the lovely shout-out today, keeping us entertained Thank with you. some wonderful music. Uh, they would love to have you back soon, as soon as possible. That's from everybody at the Metropole Hotel. Oh, isn't that lovely? Okay. Enough the metropole. That's the heart of it, of enough course. Enough of the chit-chat. Let's get in a plane, and you can... Uh, hang on a second, what am I doing here? Too many machines. T- uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Get me in a plane, and you can fly me to the moon. Fly me to the moon Let me sail amongst the stars let me find what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, take my hand. In other words, darling, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing. Forevermore You are all I long for All I've worshipped and adored In other words Please be true In other words I love you Oh, there, 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 my kazoo, I haven't got my kazoo. Go on, make it up. <laughs> my, where's my clarinet? Oh, I've given it away. You gave it away. <laughs> <Ba-da-da-ba>. <laughs> yeah, this is a big break on this. Yeah, we can have a chat. chat, yeah. Everything's going fine. Weekend. Anything for the weekend, sir. Uh, anything for the weekend. <laughs> no, everything's going, uh, all is off uh, uh, Friday, uh, sa- Saturday, not, Sunday Trevor's and Monday. not in the car. Song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I've worshipped and adored. In other words, please be true. In other words, in other words. I love you. Cork. Thank you. Bam. Bong. Fabulous city. Yeah.
And listen, that was a fabulous rendition of Fly Me to the Moon. Not so sure what I'm going to do with you with regards to another song and the amount of time that we've in it. But I just, uh, just to catch up again, uh, I think that um, Des, came ba- Des came back there. Where's his text where he was apologizing for throwing me under a bus there? Oh, yeah, here it is. He says, sorry, Neil, for throwing, <laughs> for throwing you under a bus. I thought Kevin Barry was a cork man. I stand corrected. And sorry to that lovely lady with the fine English name, Tess. Oh, my God, there'll be absolute bloomer to know that I read that out. Sometimes I should proof the text before I read them. But I think what what Tess was really annoyed with was the confusion uh, of the song. Well, Tess, I hope that all is forgiven. Um, shall my show Soul Pass Through All Ireland by Frank McCaffrey. I think that's a, a great version of it, actually, to be quite honest with you. I really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy that? That was a lovely oh, version. I did enjoy that very much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, a, um, I'm a great supporter of um, Terrence McSweeney. And you're doing terrific work in the middle of Main Parish, Street. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Listen, it was lovely to see you. It really was. Oh, thank um, you for... And, uh, just pull down your mic a little bit there, because uh, oh, it won't yeah. follow you. Um, thank you for... Um, and lovely thank you for giving t- us the chance to support. In. Lovely text coming in. Well done to George and Prenders. Really miss the jazz. It's the favourite yeah, thing I have about Cork. I love it every year. The trip down McCurtain Street. The crack, the live bands. You can't beat the atmosphere. Yeah. Please, God, for next year. Hopefully. Hopefully. I should imagine it will be. They'll have come to some kind of... There'll be a vaccine. Yeah, well, there'll be a vaccine. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.